right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I am Derek Johnson, and with me, with me is Nick Springer. Yo! We're brought to you by 23rd Wait, Street Brewery. Who are you? Derek Johnson. And who am I? Not the former Chiefs linebacker. You are Nick Springer, not the go. relative of Jerry Springer. All nope, right. That's not true. I am the relative. <laughs> no, don't don't mislead people. Dude, the best party trick of all time, man. It got, mm. it got, I had people come to me years later and be like, dude, I totally believed you when you said that uh when you said that you were Jerry Spring Jerry Springer was your great uncle. And I was like, I told you, see? see? Yeah. Uh we got plenty of KU football, KU UCF recap after the uh performance they put on today. We'll get to some Chiefs NFL Monday overreactions, case of the Mondays. We have audio from Bill Self, Hunter Dickinson, Lance Leipold that we're going to get to throughout the show. We'll get to a late night in the fog recap. But uh, wow, what a performance by KU football over UCF. 51-22, to absolutely murdered them. As, as great as the Illinois win was and the first half was, I think the first half against UCF um, was the best half all season, especially now knowing Illinois might not be very good. Uh, but also... It was the full performance. Like as great as they were in the yeah. first half, they finished it off in the second half too. Yep. Was that was that the best performance by KU in the Lance Leipold era? I think it probably has I to be. I think part of it will be looking back. I, I mean, what like, does UCF people, finish this year? Yeah. It, like, but, if UCF finishes even a bowl team, to yeah. eviscerate a bowl team like that is very impressive. It's it's yeah. an explosive team. Who knows? Yeah, I just wonder if somebody might say, "Well, the Texas win in Austin was the best performance because of the what it meant for the you know the and win." That's and everything. fair. That's understandable. You know, I just mean like in terms of just completely, absolutely yes. obliterating, dominating, steamrolling, blasting a team, yes. and not just any team. Because like I mean, a team when, who I think is competent. I mean, the last time that KU blasted a team that was not an FCS opponent to this level was probably Rutgers in mm-hmm. what, what was that 2018. 2017? Yeah, and that was just filled. I think there were like six Rutgers Arthur turnovers. Sikowski also, Rutgers like, wasn't very good. Arthur yeah. Sikowski threw like 10 yes. interceptions. He's still throwing <laughs> interceptions right now if you go over to Memorial Field <laughs> or Memorial Stadium. Yeah. So, uh, it was it was about as pre- impressive as you can get. I mean, uh, just ran all over them. 399 rushing yards. Uh, the passing game was efficient when it had to be. It didn't really have to be that often, to be honest, but yeah. it was when you when you needed it to. Uh, you dominated the game in the trenches. Austin Booker breaking out to be a star. Defense, really good. I mean, if you told me coming into the week you were going to go up 22 points to UCF, you would have taken it and ran. Exactly. And then the special teams was good, too. You had a punt return touchdown. You yep. had a kick return, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that was nearly good a touchdown. Except for the messed up extra point. <laughs> yes. The messed up extra point and the missed short field goal. But, oh, that's right. I forgot about the missed short field goal. But the, the returns were so impactful and powerful yep. that it overcame those, first, which doesn't uh, normally happen with KU special teams. First punt return for a touchdown for KU since 2014, I believe it was. I think Lance uh, so. Leipold said post-game. We'll share that audio later. He can't remember another punt return touchdown in his coaching career. His head coaching really? career. Which I don't know. There, there's got to be one. Surely, in his, like, somebody. Yeah. Surely, right? Somebody. 
at the D3 level at Wisconsin Whitewater. You would think so. Had to have returned at least one. But punt returns are rare, and they're becoming more and more rare as our yeah. kick return touchdowns. I mean, you know, the further well, we you get. think about it, going going back to like last year, you know, the debate that we were having was never return any punts, just fair catch. That was, catch a, that and was never not a debate. It. That was a you stating that <laughs> that there shouldn't be no more returns. <laughs> what do then, you say to that? <laughs> well, I'm if listen, I'm I'm more okay with it now. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Uh, I think, but the other big takeaway I had was. I mean, Trevor Wilson is obviously a really, really quality punt returner. And really good with ball in his hands, yeah. And that just makes me think, going back to last year, of obviously the out-the-field stuff before the season kind of derailed his impact, I think, for last season. But now to see him come back and perform the way he's performed, I think, has been mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Yeah, serve his penance, come back, and, and make that impact. Yeah. Cool to see. Obviously, he's, he's worked back the hard way and, and re-earned right. the trust of the staff. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, you know, everybody wants to hear about the quarterbacks. What's going on with the quarterbacks? Jalen Daniels not on the sideline. Jason Bean. I, I think, uh, first of all, let's get the Jalen Daniels stuff out of the way. They, okay. they mentioned Lance Leipold said in post game that um, Jalen was not there because they were worried that with his specific injury, that if there was any action that came on the sideline, you know, somebody running out of bounds like, and going too far. Dude, and he had I, to jump out of the way quickly, probably wouldn't be able to, or maybe could re-aggravate the back. Which I think sideline's I, pretty big. It is okay. I understand though. I, don't know. I, I get it. I, I kind of do. I guess they said he was at the facility though, so it's not like he wasn't even you know in yeah. the area. He was. At it's the just facility. like it's just like it, it, the one thing. Okay, I understand it, and and I, it's obviously frustrating for fans. I I think this is where it's kind of getting to with fans because I actually talked to a lot of fans before the game. We were out live at Big Mail, and I saw a lot of people, and you know whether it was going to into the stadium or whatever. Talking to a lot of people and, and just trying to gauge like what a lot of people I talked to, what their thoughts were on it. And it felt like to me there was a lot of frustration from the fan base about like, just be clear with this stuff. Yeah. And and I think that's what that would go into. The not having him on the sideline, it just you chalk it up into another, please just give us actually what's happening. Yeah. If you want to come out and tell us Jason Bean's gonna be our starter the next two weeks, or that Jalen yeah. Daniels is gonna be out two weeks. Please, I think that, people that's would great. Be very that's happy great. with that. They would yeah. be. They would be. Yeah. They just don't that, like being in the dark. And, well, and, I, and I think that's the the sense I'm getting from the fan base, and, yeah. I, and I think that goes back in line with it. But I, I don't think it's a big deal in a vacuum. I guess. No. Well, and that's that's kind of that kind of goes back to the to the heart of this issue, right? It's like the fact that it is a t- the type of injury where uh, you know we talked about this at nauseum, really, about the idea of you know it might be a situation where legitimately KU is not really 100 percent sure what his what Jalen Daniels' injury is, what his status is from week to week or even day to day at this point, right? But you combine that with the fact that now KU has this track record of also being very dark and not really giving much details about any injuries. It creates this just environment of speculation, this environment of what's going on, you know, uh, just anything, right? And then your, your, your fan base, people, just they just become starved for anything, right? Any sort of update, anything like that. And, and so, uh, again, it's kind of, I, I get it, right? Kate, this is, the reality situation is, this is how KU has played not just Jalen Daniels' injury, but all injuries, right? Under Lance Leipold. They, this is this is nothing new from KU. What is new is just the nature of Jalen Daniels' injury that kind of makes it even more murky and more confusing than it already normally is because KU already is not very helpful in terms of right. helping say what's going on with, with, with certain injuries, which obviously I, they, are, they are within their right to do. It is frustrating, though, but they you know that's how they handle it, and that's how they can handle it. They can choose to handle it that way. Uh, but you combine that with the fact that the Jalen Daniels situation has been very touch and go, and now it creates the situation of, again, you have just a lot of speculation and a lot of people just wanting to know what's going on. And I think to your point, you're absolutely right. I think if Lance Leipold said, like, even today, right, if he just came out today and said, hey, 
Jason Bean starting on Saturday. Boom. Done. Easy. Great. Because I think we both assume that's going to be the case. And I think we have we assume it's that's the case. But just to not have it said or confirmed, uh, I think can be it's a bit uh, it can be a bit annoying. But I, I think just to kind of wrap up the, the Jalen Daniels stuff, from my perspective, I'm just gonna go under the assumption that Jason Bean is starting every game going forward until somebody says otherwise. For the next two for the next yeah, certainly next certainly against Oklahoma State this Saturday. Then maybe after the bye week, maybe y'all, maybe Jalen Daniels might be back. But until until Lance Lapold or until somebody says Jalen Daniels is going to play, I'm just going to assume Jason Bean's the starter. And that's where I'm at, uh, where I'm at as well. So let's get to the evaluation point of J- Jason Bean. Um, eight of 12, 91 yards, touchdown, no picks, 83.4 QBR, 10 rushing yards. They're not numbers that jump off the page, <laughs> except for the QBR. The QBR obviously very good. It, it was a game where KU did whatever they wanted on the ground, so they didn't really need much from the passing game. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good game, though, for Jason Bean from a couple standpoints. Um, one, if you're going to continue to run the football this well, which, honestly, to this point, you've shown to consistently, even in the Texas game, we talked yeah. about this, you averaged five yards of carry. You just couldn't yeah. stay on the field for, for other reasons. Yeah, You just need him to be a game manager if you're going to play defense like you did and run like you did, and that's what he was. But part of being a game manager means that there are going to be certain points where you do have to make a play. Yeah. And I thought he did. The yeah. the rollout left on the first drive where he throws it to the sideline uh, opposite body to, to Luke Graham. The throw to Luke Graham on like the little deep out corner route where he had to kind of drop it into a bucket between zones. Yep. Um, even though the, the rushing yards, like six carries for 10 yards doesn't jump off the page. I thought he ran a lot more physically. I thought he took the more one that, hits. The one that jumped out to me is that he had to design quarterback run in the red zone where he... Uh, to to your point, like he really he did run more physically and got down inside the five. Didn't score, but that was the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, I agree. So he, uh, I I thought was good, and that's kind of all you needed him to do. You didn't need him to be great, and that was always the talk when you did have to go from Jalen Daniels to Jason Bean. It was could could the other guy step up enough that the difference between Daniels to Bean wouldn't be an issue, and you got more than enough from what you needed from Jason Bean in the game uh, defensively too. Uh, played great. Like I said, if, if you would have said coming in, you're going to give up 22 points to a UCF offense that was yeah. averaging two more touchdowns than that, that was you know one of the top teams in the conference and top 20 in the country, and whether it's points per game or yards per game, explosive players all over the field at the receiver position, at the running back position, you would have gladly taken 22. And yeah. yes, you could say, well, you know, it, it's probably stunk for UCF that they had a similar situation to what happened to KU last week, that you know the the quarterback yeah, situation only comes plumbing. out, and yeah. then I don't. I, evidently, he wasn't good enough, or wasn't healthy enough, or, yeah. or something happened, and so then they roll out McLean. But yeah, no, a couple more things on Bean. We had this discussion at the end of the week last week about what level does Jason Bean need to play to for KU to win? And you had said he needs to play an A minus or A or A minus or B plus game, right? And I I don't know that I was fully ready to commit to that same thing, but I think we both agreed he have to, he'd have to play pretty well. Uh, I think with this game against UCF, it was shown that you don't need an A game from Jason Bean for KU to win. You don't because everything else within KU's offense is, if they're firing on on all cylinders, is very, very difficult to stop. And Jason Bean just simply has to be sort of the maestro, but he doesn't have to be the main show, right? Uh, so that, that stood out to me is that, you know, Jason Bean does not have to be, he does not have to play at a very extremely high level for KU to still still win games. The other thing that stood out to me about this is, this is this was a game plan for the UCF game offensively that was very much geared towards Jason Bean, right? Utilizing the ground game, effect, you know, helping out Jason Bean and, and making sure he's he's comfortable and playing, right? 
that gives me a lot of confidence because you go back to the Texas game, and that was clearly not a game plan that was, I don't think, really geared towards Jason Mean because they didn't expect him to play. Now you see what happens when they when there was a game plan that was geared towards him. Now you were playing a bottom five rushing defense in UCF, so obviously that helped with your offensive line and, and your running game. But, yeah, I mean, I think if you if, if Andy Kolnicki, it's I think it's now proven, if he has a week where he knows Jason Bean's going to be his guy to develop a game plan and how he wants to utilize Jason Bean and execute on offense, you saw the result. He put up 50 points, and it was, it was very, very impressive. Now, I will say, if you want to read between the lines a little bit more on that, that tells me if you had a whole week of a game plan for Jason Bean, how early in the week last week did KU maybe know internally that Jalen Daniels was not going to be the guy? Yeah. It, that leads me to believe that they probably learned pretty quickly, like Monday or Tuesday, that it was going to be Jason Bean. Or they, or either either they learned that Jalen was not going to be good enough to go, and so that was fine, or they just made the decision of we're rolling with Jason Bean this week internally. They must have figured that out pretty quickly. I think that was my assumption all the way through. Again, I don't know. That's just kind of reading between the lines a little bit, but sure. And I'm kind of under that assumption too for this week because obviously everything KU has said publicly has gone against that theory. Right. Yeah. By the way, the update on uh, Jalen today uh, was did not practice. So I guess read into that what you will that it'll probably be Jason Bean this Saturday again. Um, so I, I guess everything that you just said about Bean becomes important for this Saturday down in Stillwater. Yeah. I. Uh, for me, I don't know, man. I, I guess my biggest takeaway would probably – I, I kind of want to say the defense because I was so impressed with what they did. Like, Taiwan Berryhill was really good. Linebackers were good. They tackled the football well. Coverage was really good. You held their leading receiver to one catch for five yards. Uh, pass rush was there with Austin Booker and Patrick Joyner really having big games. But, you know, it, it just is the, the running game because we've known this KU running game is good. Yes. To show that you can completely take over a football game and that you can basically just say, you know what's coming at you and it does not matter, you cannot stop us, is a whole nother level of good. Yeah. Right? It's it's like, you know, when you're playing Alabama, back in the days when Alabama had like, you know, 10, 15 years ago with Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry and stuff, you knew Alabama was going to try to run it down your throat. <laughs> Didn't matter. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry were going to go for 150, 200 yards. Did not matter. You know Kansas is going to be physical. They're going to run the football. They're going to run read option. They have good running backs. UCF knew that. UCF knew it the second half. Kansas attempted what? I think three passes in the last 35 minutes of the game. Something like that. I mean, they they didn't attempt to pass for like the whole fourth (laughs) quarter. It did not matter. UCF could not stop them. And on a day where Tony Sands was there getting his jersey inducted, uh, famously had 396 rushing yards against Missouri, for KU to go for 399, I mean, that was really cool. And and that's that's my biggest takeaway from the game. That Do I expect against some of the other opponents you to have 400 rushing yards? No. But, like, even as we go into Saturday and Oklahoma State is watching this film and going – we have to put numbers forward to stop the run, and we have to do a good job stopping the run. What does that mean? What does is, what is stopping the run against KU mean? Does it mean you're giving up 150? Does it mean you're giving up 200? You know? Like, Kansas yeah. has hit that point. They've elevated to that point, I feel like, from this game as a running offense where it's like it's like when you're playing a star player in the NBA. When you say you, – you never oh, yeah. like, I, I'm going to shut LeBron, down LeBron you James. You play LeBron James and you hold him to 20 exactly. and 10. That's a good night. It's never shutting down. It's, it's can I limit you? 
and that's the territory you're approaching with the KU football running attack because of the way that the offensive line is blocking, because of the way that the tight ends are blocking. Jared Casey, again, springing big blocks. Because of the way the receivers are blocking. You look every play they're getting downfield, the receivers are fighting their tail off on defensive backs. Because of the way the running backs run. Daniel Highshaw is a madman. Yeah. If you try to run in front of that dude, you're getting trucked. You try to run to the side of him, you're getting stiff-armed. You try to run in front of Devin Neal, you're getting cut out of your shoes. You try to run in front of Dylan McDuffie, I don't know. He's just going to find a way to produce. Like th- yeah. This offense, this running game is elite, man. Yeah, UCF's lack of Power 5 depth was painfully exposed in the game. And their lack of physicality and depth painfully exposed by Mr. Daniel Hyshaw, who his story is just absolutely incredible, coming back from the injury from last year, and he is fully powered up. And I, I kind of mentioned that uh, in our preview on Friday about Daniel Hyshaw might be a guy to watch here because of this, his style of run, right? His style of run will wear you down. Well, it wore down UCF and then some. I mean, they, they got they got they got ground into a paste. There was nothing left of them from, with Daniel Hyshaw running the ball. And obviously, then you then you have Evan Neal's explosiveness, right? The long touchdown run to start the, to start the uh, third quarter. It's just this incredible combination of really really talented running backs behind a very very strong offensive line that is when they're on the same page plays at a very high level. And then you've got literally three tight ends that can block as well as any of your offensive linemen at this point, truly. Spearheaded by, by Jared Casey. Uh, so it's a very, very impressive attack. And it's not, and it's also impressive schematically. Andy Kolnicki does a lot of things with pulling guards, pulling tackles, and even with lining up just with splits to open up things and create more running lanes for, for this offense. So it really starts from the top. It starts with the schemes. It starts with how these plays are drawn up. And then you go to the execution of the offensive line and the tight ends and how well they they play. And then you move to the running backs that have really, really high-quality talent. And I think now it's pretty clear that KU has a top-five running back duo in the country. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw are that good. Both very, very explosive runners and, and are really, really skillful in their own ways. And then Dylan McDuffie, 13 carries for 91 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns also. So a uh, really, really fantastic game all around, all around from the running game. And and yeah, you know, UCF, as I said, UCF was a bottom five rushing defense in the Big 12 coming into this game. So can you expect KU to turn out 250, 300, and 350 yards on the ground every single week, week in and week out? Probably not. But again, if a, if a defense, like, like you mentioned with Oklahoma State coming up this weekend, if a defense has to pay that much attention to what you're doing on the ground, that should open things up and make the job of Jason Bean, by the way, a lot easier, right? To find the receivers down the field and make plays in the passing game. So it's just it just sets up everything else and and yeah right when you when when you know when a team knows what you're gonna do and you can still execute it at a very very high level, that is when you've really really made it a very impressive part of, of whatever your game plan is right so uh, yeah truly truly impressive stuff from from the KU ground game and and yeah I don't know I mean I'm having a hard time like my initial reaction to the to the UCF game was that was great but I don't know if KU is gonna be able to do that week in and week out. The more I'm kind of breaking it down and I went back and watched the game, I'm starting to think, what if they can? What if they can just get 200 yards on the ground week in and week out with these two dynamic running backs that they have and what that's going to do for the rest of their offense? I, I don't know. I mean, I want to see it. I mean, like I said, we, we talked about it with UCF, the fact that they are coming from a non-Power 5 conference to a Power 5 conference and what that means for their depth, what that means for the physicality. But if you're KU and you are able to do what you did on the ground against an Oklahoma State, against an Iowa State coming up later on in the season, against a Texas Tech. If you stack up 
multiple games where you're doing that, I, I, I mean, the sky's the limit at that point, I guess. You had six games last year where you ran for 200 or more yards rushing. You had four games where you averaged six or more yards per carry. Already this year, you have four games with 200 or more yards of rushing. And those are four games with 221 or more. They already have the same amount of games this year as they did last year in yards per carry. <laughs> of averaging six or more yards per carry in a game, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, four of them, again, this year. And last year, they were a good running team. You're even better this year. They have uh, taken that step forward. Weirdly enough, the Which, only running game that wasn't like a great game was the Nevada game. I, I don't know. That <laughs> would, weird game. Yeah. Which obviously, it, it would make sense that you would be an even, be, even better rushing team to this point in the season than you were last season because what happened? One of your top backs, Daniel Hyshaw, went down with an injury. Mm -hmm. Right? So it makes sense that you add him back into the fold another year, Devin Neal. You bring in Dylan McDuffie, who I think at this point you can say without a doubt is a significant upgrade from Kai Thomas. And then you still have Savion Morrison and Tory Lachlan just hanging out, just yeah. waiting for an opportunity. Yeah, and bottom line, after the Texas result and maybe going into Saturday because you see Illinois lose to Nebraska and you're like, oh, man, who has Kansas really beaten? Like, how good are they really? Uh, you're starting to question things. You have Bean taking over for Daniels. There were some questions that you might have had going into the game. Just how good is this team? Are they a fine team? Are they a seven-win team? Are they an eight? Are, are they really good? I, I don't know. I think you kind of answered those questions really with good. a resounding, you are a good football They're team. really good. Yeah. And you look around the rest of the Big 12, I think you have a very, very solid case to say that KU is the third best team in the Big 12 right now. It's and wide I, open. I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty open. clear. KU is the third best team in the, in the Big 12. I mean, if you're having you the got, conversation, it's KU, West Virginia, K-State. Exactly. You have, you have Texas and Oklahoma, and then Kansas is right there. And then I think, I think you... Based off of the results of last weekend, or over this past weekend, you could almost say there's a little bit of a gap between KU Maybe. and then that cluster of teams, your, your West Virginias, your Texas Techs, your TCUs, your Kansas States of the world. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's get to our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week coming up next. Welcome back. Half past the hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll have our Chiefs recap, NFL Monday overreactions, Case of the Mondays, all coming up. More KU football talk. Throughout the show and in the 5 o'clock hour, and we have audio from Bill Self, Hunter Dickinson, and Lance Leipold after Late Night in the Fog and KU Football, and we'll get to our Late Night in the Fog recap coming up next. Before uh, we do any of that, though, it's time for our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU Football, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. Uh, how about KU hitting the AP Top 25? Does that count? Oh, nice. They're also like in the that. coaches' poll, too. I think 23rd in the coaches' poll, yeah. 24th in the AP? 23rd in the coaches' poll, yeah. Okay. I don't know about the AP. I didn't double-check that. Well, I, I honestly Back. don't really care about the coaches' poll, and I think some people are like this, too. Just because, Not that I don't respect the coaches' opinions. If you told me the coaches were actually like watching a lot of the games like, and like yeah, actually— exactly. How can a coach watch every game? Right, that's the they're, thing. They're you're coaching. coaching your own game, and then you're you're going to watch tape on the other game. That it ends up just not being totally accurate. Also, I know there are certain coaches in the country. I've heard stories of the like direct stories of these about <laughs> how there are certain coaches that are just like, oh, I don't have time for this, and they just tell like the SID, just fill it out for me. So I was like, so it's not even the, how much does it matter? Yeah. I don't know. Nonetheless, I I don't say all that to whatever. Hey, uh, when ranked in it, it matter. matters. Yeah, it does. When they're not they're in ranked it, it both. Matter. They're ranked in both. So, yeah, there we uh, go. Cool things there. Yep. Anyway, hit of the week options. I um, think there's an obvious. Obvious answer here. You do. Yeah. Okay. You want to? You want Well, okay. Let's go over. What do you, what do you think it is? Let's go over the options. Okay. I was going to say three, two, one. We will say what it is. Oh, all right. So uh, you have uh, Austin Booker smoking Richardson, the running back on that third and fourteen draw on the first drive. Okay. 
kept him out of field goal range. You have Daniel Highshaw trucking the UCF defender on the sideline and then kind of AI over Ty Lewing him, walking over him a little bit. Correct. Um, what else is there? I mean, Austin Booker hitting hitting the football out of the hands of... <laughs> that wasn't really a hit of the week, though. There's a lot of good no, blocks in there. I think the obvious, obvious slam dunk answer here, it's got to be Daniel Highshaw, bro. Okay. I mean, he just obliterated a guy. Yes. Literally pancaked Snatched him his soul. to the turf. I think that's Destroyed the right one. him. So he's running up the left sideline. Yep. Knocks the guy over, then he keeps running, and then eventually he yes. I, I, the literally, walks out of bounds or gets like, knocked out of bounds. absolutely bulldozes him into another universe. Yes. Like, like a 9-10 yard gain. Yes. Smashes him into the ground. I think that's the right call. Yes. Daniel Highshaw, absolutely deserving of the hit of the week. Okay. So this would technically make it back-to-back weeks for Daniel Highshaw to have a hit of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we go back to last week. classify the Texas one in just assisted. a different category? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Okay. I think th- I think we need to set that one aside. All right. So that means we have a different winner every week then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does it beat our best hit of the week, which is still the Kobe Bryant one against BYU? Yeah, dude. The Kobe Bryant one's so good, but dude, it led to a touchdown. The Daniel Highshaw. This truck. The Daniel I mean, Highshaw was really the video good, it, but <laughs> dude, Kobe Bryant's led to a defensive touchdown. No, I know. I, I get it. I understand it's hard, but if, if Kobe Bryant's still number one, this Daniel Highshaw hit. This week was was number two. That's fine. But yes, Kobe Bryant's still the best overall. So our leaderboard, it has Kobe Bryant with one, Marvin Grant with one, Austin Booker with one, J.B. Brown with one, Daniel Highshaw with one, and then our uh, Texas one, which was Daniel Highshaw assisted by Jalen Catalan (laughs) and hockey assist by Jason Bean. That is our Pearson Collision hit of the week. Pearson knows accidents happen, understands the stress, stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with their insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut, in Lawrence. We're going to take a time out on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. We've got our recap of Late Night in the Fog, the scrimmages that happened, and uh, all that went down on Friday night in Allen Fieldhouse. Coming up next with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we'll get to our Case of the Mondays, little uh, Chiefs conversation, all that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Plenty more KU football throughout the show as well. Friday night was late night in the fog. I guess Friday night was also high school football, which, uh, by the way, I guess I should tease that now because we have the City Showdown this Friday. That's right. City Showdown, baby. Nick is going to be skipping out on the action because he's going to be going down to Stillwater. Yeah, so so if you're going uh, to the Oklahoma State game, and yeah. you, see a, you see a crazed man yelling. <laughs> Odds are it might be me. Well, uh, Free State's going to be playing Lawrence High. It should be it should be a fun game. It's always a good game whenever you get the rivalry. Free State has been really good this year, six and zero to start the season off. Uh, Lawrence High just lost, but it was you know to the number one team in the state in Gardner. So I, I think it'll be a really good game on Friday, and you'll be able to hear it on KLWN at seven o'clock with pregame at six forty five. Um, okay, recapping late night in the fog. Uh, I guess there were the the extracurricular events, and then there's the actual like <laughs> scrimmage stuff. As far as the extracurriculars, uh, I don't know. People seem to enjoy Flo Rida. Like Flo Rida did a pretty seemed good like job. Did a good job. Yeah, he was uh, you know getting all hot and sweaty without his shirt on, having a good time out there. <laughs> yeah, no, but the fans were into it. Um, seemed like the reception was was positive. Yeah, it did. It definitely did. Uh, Mario Chalmers hits the half court shot to to win some students some cash. That's always a good thing. Yep, I'm always pro giving the the students some cash. And then uh, the scrimmages happened, which yeah, um, I guess from the women's side of things, honestly, the big conversation was Tyana Jackson hitting a three pointer. That would be 
pretty cool. If Probably she was not going to do that. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Right? <laughs> in the season. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how much Brandon Schneider is going to, you know, let her let it fly from the outside. <laughs> but the fact that you know it's at least in there, maybe you see a little bit more from her at least in the mid range. Maybe it stretches open the court a little bit. Yeah. Can't hurt. It's a very yeah. talented KU women's basketball team, so I think that'll be good. Uh, as far as the men's scrimmage, so it was really funny. If if you if you were there or you haven't happened to see it, I would recommend going. Yep. You can still find it. the The yep. broadcast is archived yep. on. If you have uh, ESPN Plus. Yes, it's you on can ESPN log in Plus. And go to like Big Twelve Now or whatever. Right. And Brian Haney and like Greg Gurley were yeah. doing the broadcast with Bill Self. Now there was some sort of like I don't know headphone issue or audio issue or something to where Brian ended up having to like give his headphones or headset to Bill Self. But Bill Self was on the broadcast. Yeah. And every year we talk about this with Late Night in the Fog that it is. It's 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 really cool, and I think it's both funny when you have Bill Self on these broadcasts because of how like he can't turn the coach off. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. He can't turn coach no, mode off. You can't. Like when the ball is tipped, he just can't. He it's impossible for him to have that off. Right. Possible. So I I don't know, man. Like it's just it's it's super funny to see that, and like it's not funny from like. I, I don't know why it's so funny to me. I just, I just enjoy when yeah. you're watching it and he's just like, this is horrible. You know, like that. Yeah, that's terrible that's, basketball. That's, that's horrible. There's just something funny about it. There's something endearing about that when that happens. And that that's kind of how the broadcast was. So it was, it was uh, pretty funny. Um, there were several comments throughout about like, you know, this is terrible and yeah. we're playing horrible basketball. Then he took the headset off stuff. and was yelling at that was the best cue to turn the... Call yeah. timeout to yeah. So at there. one point he was so unhappy with how they play, he takes the headset off, but you can still hear him in the background being <laughs> like, "Hey, Q, call timeout!" And he's like trying to get their attention. He just like keeps going, "Call timeout!" And then you hear him at one point be like, "Hunter Dewan or Hunter Juan or Hunter KJ, whoever he was." He was like, "Play!" He was like, you know, like you just hear him like get into it. He just and wanted then, because he wanted him to put on a good show. For and the then fans. he said, "Mount there." I don't think I could say it. I don't know. <laughs> It was funny though. It was funny. Now you did get a couple, uh, like I think, insightful comments too from Bill Self as part of the broadcast. Um, he at one point said about Marco Jackson, like he's got a chance to be one of the best guards that, that we've had here. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I mean, that's high praise. And and you never know how things are going to work out. Marco, you know, could have a season where he's a good player for you and then goes pro. And he's never an All-American for you. He goes off to the NBA draft before that. Maybe he stays for two years. Maybe he stays for three. And he does become one of those guys. Like, part of being one of the best guards we've had here isn't just about your talent level and what you do in the pros. That is, you know, I guess still part of it, too. But it's also what you accomplish in your time at KU. So who knows how much is lived up to there. But to hear the potential that that he is in on El Marco Jackson, I think is really exciting. And you need that with the yeah. Arterio Morris stuff. Like, that's kind of a prerequisite that you need one of your two two guards, if not both of them, with yeah. Timberlake and Omarco now on a a not as deep team now with only nine scholarship players with Zach Clements redshirting. Everybody's got to step up basically, and, and to hear that I think was was music to my ears. Yeah, I mean we we talked about it with with the Arterio stuff that you alluded to. The biggest thing about it was if Arterio had you know still been on the team basically. Marco Jackson would probably have had some time to grow into his role and there wouldn't be as much pressure on him to be an, an elite player right away. And now with KU's current iteration of their team, El Marco is the guy that you would hope comes in and is playing at a high level right away, which you know obviously is, is a lot of pressure for a freshman. But in this era of college basketball, we see a lot of freshmen that come in and are, and are playing at a high level right away. I mean, you go back to Grady Dick last year and what he did in the Duke game. In the Champions Classic, you know, in his what third or fourth game, whatever, in a K uniform, helped them win the game. Mm-hmm. So that you you basically you hope to see that level from a Marco Jackson 
a lot sooner than maybe you would have necessarily needed to previously. Yes. As far as the scrimmage itself, uh, Bill Self's comments about, you know, this is horrible, all that stuff. <laughs> um, I think from a fan perspective, you, you probably don't think it's as bad as it was for him because for him, every little thing. Uh, but it wasn't a great scrimmage, obviously. You know, you kind of get to a point where it's like lower scoring, people are missing shots, and you start yeah. to ask, is it good defense or the, is it bad offense, You got right? the random piggyback in there, which I have no idea what yeah. that was about. No, I, I don't know either. But, like, it's it's the little things that, you like, the one play I'm, I'm remembering where he got really upset is, uh, KU, it might have been, like, a two-on-one or something in a transition, and, and somebody tried to throw up a lob, and it was just, like, stolen. It was kind of a lazy pass. Um, and, and it's just those plays and missing some open threes that make you think, okay, well, yeah. it's still so far away from the – we're still a month away from the season. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I guess three weeks from uh, yesterday, though, is is the first exhibition the, game against Illinois, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought for the most part, like – it's hard to take away too much from a scrimmage because a you are far away from the season, uh, b it's not something where I don't know it's it's one small scrimmage over a fifteen minute running clock like that's such a small sample size, but I was impressed with um, Nick Timberlake. I was impressed with Kevin McCuller. I yeah. thought you saw some good flashes from Marco Jackson. You saw some of the athleticism, like the the play where Marco was easily able to kind of scoop by. Uh, I, I think it was Zach Clements. It was one of the centers. You saw the athleticism. Like there were some some flashes from Jamari McDowell, Johnny Furphy. Um, let's start with Timberlake though. I I think it's going to be pivotal that he is aggressive shooting the ball this year. Yeah, he I could think, average uh, two rebounds, one assist per game, and be below average on defense. As long as he shoots the ball well, mission accomplished. Yeah, it was. I thought it was kind of telling, and not that we didn't already know this, but it was funny to hear Bill Self say it is Timberlake like hit a three, and Greg Gurley like you know said something about Timberlake shooting, and and Bill Self was basically like, yeah, we recruited him here to make shots, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like Timberlake, it's it's now out there. It's very obvious why he is on the team, right? He is there to hit, take threes, and make threes. Right, and, and you're right. It is it is pivotal that he's able to do that at a decent clip. Right, uh, I think we had this conversation in the off season. I mean, Timberlake to me, he's got to be he's got to be at least 38 percent from three. Right. Yeah. I mean, if he comes, I think that's in, what self said on the broadcast. Yeah. If he comes in and shoots thirty five percent from three, which by the way, thirty five percent that's above average. That's a pretty I good mean, number. That's what Isaiah Moss shot. Yeah, that's a pretty good number. But I think you have higher expectations for yes. what you need Timberlake to bring. Uh, especially considering maybe you have some more unproven shooting around that. Okay, so let's let's play the the math game again because we haven't done this since uh, since the Arteria Morris news, which was going to factor in a bit of it. Are they averaged twenty threes per game last year? Right. Oh yeah. That's, how do you get to twenty threes per this game? Exercise. Yes. How do you get to twenty threes per game with this team? Okay. Okay. Uh, let's start without Nick Timber. Let's let's do Nick Timberlake last to see where he needs to fill in the gap. Okay, because I think that'll make this fun. <laughs> Uh, Dewan okay. Harris, I, I think he he took about two two per game last year. I'm, like one I'm and comfortable half? saying two. Okay, let's two. say two per game for Dewan Harris. All right, put it on the board. Two. Okay, two per game for him. Uh, El Marco Jackson, three. <sighs> Feels high. That's too high. Okay, two, two. I'll say two. So we'll get up okay. to four there. Okay. Uh, Kevin McCuller. Kevin took like three last year. Yeah, but I almost feel like that might not. That might go down. Oh, you think it'll go down? Or well, I don't think it'll go up. Do you? I mean, he's going to be more of a focal point offensively. But from the three point line, it was two point nine last year. That's okay, the thing. So three? He could get more. Okay, if it was, I'll say three again. I'm almost tempted to say four. Okay. Because the senior, you're going to get All more right, shots. Fine, fine. Four. All right, four. So that gets us to so now we're at eight. Yeah, we're two at and eight. two and four. Um, KJ Adams. 
KJ one, Adams, maybe one. Yeah, so we'll just give him one. Just, but we'll, we'll call it one just to be on the higher side of things. Okay, so they're up to nine. Like it was, yeah, nine. Hunter Dickinson. Was that like two last year? Two. I don't know. It seems like he really wants to launch him up. Let's go up to three. All right, now, would, you're, okay. now you're 12. Would Bill Self bench Hunter Dickinson if he just kept chucking threes yes. in a game? At some point, yes. You think so? Just for like two minutes. It wouldn't be like a benching <laughs> like we see with some bench guys who it's like, you might not see the floor again tonight. <laughs> it would just be for like a few minutes, get your mind right, you know. Um, okay. And then we'd hear about so it in do, the postgame. You want to say two or three? Let I, I'm going to say three. We'll be on the higher end just for the fun of it. But okay. I, yes, so now I we're could up see to two. So 12. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's say between Parker Brown, Johnny Furphy, and Jamari McDowell. Two. Two. Okay. So now we're 14. So, so we to get to six. 20 per game, you need six three point attempts per game from Nick Timberlake. That almost feels too low to me. You, you think. I think he could be taking more. He could be six. taking like seven or eight. I don't know. That's a lot per game. Okay, so Nick Timberlake last year at Towson, where he played 36 minutes per game, took 6.7 threes per game. Now, at Kansas, you're more of a three-point specialist than you were at Towson, where you were like, do everything on offense, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Five? No, I I think six is the number you're going to try to get to. Okay. But is that the number you think he will have? Or will it be lower? Um... I guess maybe the best comparisons for KU would probably be, okay, I mentioned Isaiah Moss. Isaiah, Isaiah Moss, Moss shot just below uh, 35% from three-point range. It was like 34.6% or something like that. That was an overall better three-point shooting team. No, it was not. Oh, you're right. It was like Dotson, Doak, Marcus Garrett. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 He took 4.7 per game. I was in about 25 minutes per game. That might be the range that Timberlake's in. I don't know. Maybe Timberlake's more. Grady Dick last year, which I don't think Timberlake will play as much as Grady did, which was like 33 minutes per game, shot 5.7 per game. But Grady was not a – I mean, he was a three-point guy, but he wasn't a three-point special. Yeah, sure. And you had Dalen Wilson on the team who was taking a lot of threes. So I think ideally you want Timberlake taking six or seven per game. Yes, but it might be tough. It might be closer to four and a half, five, five and a half per game. But Maybe. if he's as if he's as aggressive as he was, going back to this conversation in late night in the fog scrimmage, where you saw him make three threes, he took like five or six. He also took the the mid range shot, which he took very aggressively. I think that's exactly what you want to see because this is the point. You need Nick Timberlake to be aggressive, I, yes, because you don't have a lot of other guys on the so, team who are going to launch up a lot of threes. Similar question though here that I just asked about Hunter Dickinson. If you have Nick Timberlake in the game and you're Bill Self. And he takes like three threes in the first like five minutes and misses all three. What are you doing? You taking him out? Are you putting more El Marco in? I don't know because 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 Bill Self just he admitted you it himself it. that yeah. you need that shooting. Yeah, but if he has know. a if he has a cold stretch in a game, you know we've seen Bill with a quick hook in a lot of cases. But when you got a guy that maybe is that crucial of a piece to your three point shooting. Does he get a longer leash? A little tougher to do. It's it's almost dependent on how well do Jamari McDowell and Johnny Furphy shoot it. Do you have other options you can bring off the bench and shoot the basketball? Uh, now, switching to Kevin McCuller, I thought he looked good. He had that one kind of turnaround uh, mid-range jump shot. He hit a three. He had the, the teardrop, which we hadn't really seen that a, a ton in his game last year. Yeah. What do you think the proper point per game total for, like, if we were setting an over-under for mm-hmm. Kevin would be? Because I feel like based on between the scrimmage, between the Puerto Rico games, which I know those aren't everything, but... You start packing them together. Now you're getting a little bit somewhere. It feels like to me he is being a little more aggressive and he has a little more to his offensive game this year. But how much I more? I don't know. 14 points per game? Is that, is that I was going to say 13 and a half, 14. So I think that's right. What really annoys me about about uh, this the late night scrimmage, and 
I guess it's a little bit Puerto Rico, but not really. Is dude, Hunter Dickinson is just a clown. He does not even try. He's not. He, it, it, I haven't even. I don't even know what to think of him because I haven't even. I can't even definitively say that I've seen him literally try in anything I've seen him play so far. We saw we saw one of the the camp scrimmages, and he was just kind of having was, a good time was, playing yes, with Dylan Wilhite. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I haven't even seen him play or attempt to play. So I'm what sure, am, how what am I supposed yeah, to? I'm sure how am I supposed to have a reasonable expectation for what Hunter? It Dickinson definitely be? feels like we have not seen the 100. percent This but dude I don't is really just clowning around that. every time I see him. Yeah, I I think it's fine. I think, I think it's, it's fine. fine. No, I think it's fine too. I, I'm just, that's just me speaking of like. I just wish I could have seen him try. Sure. No, just just. Wait. I mean, I'm sure he's good, and I'm sure we'll he'll see. be good. Watch but first game. He's gonna drop like 30 <laughs> and 15. You know, what probably. I mean? it's gonna be crazy. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? All right, uh, here was the debate we were having off air before the show today. Uh, Johnny Furphy versus Jamari McDowell. If you think about it this way, um, whoever doesn't get the starting two-guard spot between Timberlake and El Marco is still going to play 20-plus minutes per game, right? Yeah. So, basically, the way I view it, I mean, there is a chance that both Furphy and McDowell are in the rotation. I think, realistically, once the rotation gets whittled down, once you get to Big 12 play or the end of the season, it'll probably be one of the two. Whichever Bill Self trusts more. One of the two will get it. Maybe. And maybe the other one gets spot minutes, but I do think there's going to be a sizable difference. I could see one getting 10 yeah. to 15 a game, well, the other getting think, spot minutes. Okay, you got the starting five, Parker Brown, Yep, and then Furphy the and McDowell. other of, well, and then El Marco or Timberlake. Oh, the two. two. Okay. So then yeah. you're at seven. Yeah. So like you said, so that's what I'm saying about Furphy and McDowell. The eighth spot is either Furphy It's one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think early in the season, both could play, obviously. Yeah. But once we get to the point where he does whittle it down more to eight, it's probably whoever is better of the two. Now, Furphy... Can probably play the two, three, or four. McDowell probably more of a two or three. You'd put Furphy at the two. I think you could six nine. Well, okay. Here's here's how I view it. If Furphy is Allegedly on the floor, if Furphy is on the floor with uh, Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams, who is he guarding? Probably the other man, two man. I, I guess I don't know. You know, I mean, unless 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 the other team has like a really high quality two man, maybe you just have go. Kevin McCullough. Yeah, I guess it depends. If it's if it's like a more of a it's six like a, two guard, if it's, it's like probably you're Kevin. playing a Baylor and it, you know they got Keontae George or Adam Flagler right. from last year. But if it's more probably, of your traditional two guard, who's like a six five shooter, like or, or a Grady Dick type, it's probably Furphy on him at that point. So, yeah, um, I I thought it was interesting. You saw flashes from both the play where Furphy tried to drive it into Jamari McDowell, and McDowell just kept his feet in front of him and just stole the ball away, and then you see the athleticism from McDowell later in the game when he hits the one-handed dunk. You also saw some flashes from Furphy. You saw the the block that he had on, like, the Dwan Harris, like, teardrop, super athletic. The fact that he, he blocked it and then he saves it in. Like, I'm pretty sure he had a steal on McDowell, too, at one point. Yeah, well. yeah. So, I mean, you saw flashes from both. I do wonder, okay, I am under the expectation. I think Johnny Furphy has a really high ceiling. I could see Furphy being the guy by the end of the year. I could see day one. At the beginning of the season, McDowell having the slight edge. Which, that shouldn't be that shocking because Johnny Furphy got here a right. month ago, five weeks ago. You know, McDowell has been here over the summer and has a little bit more time. So it would make it would make total sense if in, you know, November and into December, like basically non-con into conference play, if maybe McDowell does see a little bit more of the floor over Furphy because he's he's been, he's had more time to integrate in and everything else. And Oh, and by the way, Furphy's coming from 9,000 miles away. So there's, <laughs> the, you know, there's... There's more to it than just the basketball side, mm-hmm. right? He's got to get he's got to get situated, you know, on the other side. I did see that he dropped a uh, good day mate out there. Yeah, I did. It was great. I'm I'm so excited when they have the uh, Big Twelve Media Day. Low key is like next week. It's next Wednesday. Yeah. Um. They would. So, uh, they no, Furphy won't be there for that. But usually, they have the KU Media Day 
somewhere around then. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll get to talk to Johnny first for the first time, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you talk to him because I want you to talk to him about Vegemite and, and all these other yeah, Australian dude, I can't believe things you didn't know what Vegemite was. That's insane. <laughs> okay. Like I think it's a like it's an Australian culture thing, but I feel like it's also something that more people know about. But maybe I'm wrong. We should ask every player on the team do they know what Vegemite is? Okay. And we'll see what the results are. Yep. I bet you it's ninety percent no. All right. Well, they might now because Johnny's on the team. Yeah, maybe. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got some more KU football talk, Case of Mondays, Chiefs recap, NFL Monday overreactions, all that and more coming up throughout the show on RCST. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. you freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Time for your Case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Four o'clock hour here. We'll get to some more KU football, Chiefs, NFL Monday reactions coming out throughout the show. As we do on Mondays, we talk about who's having a case of the Mondays today, which I guess you could probably say the UCF run defense is having a case of the Mondays. If you're yeah. three UCF yeah. overall. Or the UCF defensive UCF line thinking they were going to run the Big 12 as soon as they joined. <laughs> UCF defensive line and linebackers mm. probably had to hit the ice bass a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, uh, not getting called Central Florida or the yeah, Golden Knights. Central Florida Golden Knights. It's hard to defend yeah. and be like, don't call us that when you lose 51 to 22, you know? Yeah, lo- listen, you lose all rights to claim what you want to be called <laughs> when that happens. You are the Central Florida Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. And again, Golden Knights is way cooler than regular Knights. I don't know why you wouldn't just embrace that. Way cooler. All right, well, uh, first up for Case of the Mondays here is P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck is the head coach at uh, Minnesota. So Austin Booker, Gage Keys are obviously, uh, well, I guess I should start here. Minnesota got whomped by Michigan on Saturday, so that probably, you know, <laughs> already you're, you're on edge. Um, yeah. Then on top of it, we know Gage Keys and Austin Booker transferred from Minnesota to Kansas. And both Keys and yeah, Keys played a, a lot more than uh, Booker did in in the time at Minnesota. But Booker didn't really see the field much in his time at Minnesota, which is crazy looking back. Now, obviously, players improve year to year, so I'm sure Austin yeah. Booker is much better now than he was, you know, as, as a true freshman at Minnesota or maybe last year or something. But watching how good Austin Booker has been, like basically from the word go at Kansas. I mean, even in the first two weeks of the season when he was rotating in his backup, it was clear he was really good. Um, it's hard to be like, why were you not getting on the field at Minnesota? And so uh, KU Football actually tweeted out uh, a picture of Austin Booker, and it, it's got like the x-ray of his chest, and it's got the dogs inside of him. He's got be that like, dog yeah, in yeah, him. Exactly. Um, He's got that dog in him. tweeted by Gage Keys. Imagine not playing this guy with the laughing, crying emoji after that. And Damn. it's so true. I mean, clearly that that's a, a shot back to P.J. Fleck in Minnesota to be like, why was this guy not playing? Which is a very valid question right now. Why was this guy not playing? Austin Booker? Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm starting to wonder now. Like, Austin Booker's a redshirt sophomore. Is he going to have a decision to go to the NFL draft at the end of this year? Like, he yeah. has been unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's been so good and truly 
it's it's hilarious now even to, even to think about all of our conversations of the offseason about what's going to happen with the D-line because Lonnie Phelps left. Like, oh no, the D-line is going to be the weakest link of the team. And KU has hit on all of their defensive line transfers, not just Austin Booker. Gage Keys has been solid. Patrick Joyner had a great game uh, on Saturday. Uh, Devin Phillips obviously has been really great as well. Dylan Brooks has gotten in there. Like, they went out aggressively uh, attacked this this issue they had on their D-line, and it has paid off with significant dividends, and it starts with Austin Booker, who has been just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, above and beyond anything I think you could have possibly expected coming into this season, uh, he, he's been incredible. And uh, maybe Gage Keys has a little bit of a point there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Miami Hurricanes football is having a case in the Mondays. This was probably the Dude. worst <laughs> loss of anyone in football over the weekend. I say, I man... I don't care if it's youth sports. I don't care if it's college football. I don't care if it's NFL. This is the probably worst loss anybody suffered because it was super unnecessary. <laughs> um, so if you missed what happened, Miami was playing Georgia Tech. And Miami, yep. up until this point, was a top 25 team. They really were undefeated. Yeah. They'd beaten Texas A&M, who yeah. you know, played tight with Alabama. And they uh, beat Texas A&M by like, multiple scores. Miami, yeah. I, I still think after this football game, Miami's a really good football team because... They should be undefeated even after this game, and, and then they'd still be ranked in the top 25, if not the top 20. Um, so what happened was they're winning by four points. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, no, was 20-17. Okay, it was 2017. so it's a three-point yeah. game. Uh, there was 50 seconds on the clock. They have a third down and 10, and they snap the ball. Georgia Tech is out of timeouts. Miami has the football in Georgia Tech territory. All Miami has to do is kneel the football twice, and the clock runs out. Okay. Yeah. And and by the way, they snap it when there's like 50 seconds left. There was still time on like the, the play clock too. Yeah. So all you have to do is basically kneel the football out and you're good. Yep. Instead. Victory formation, take a knee. They run the football up the middle. Like an actual guess play. guess what happens? They fumble the football. Georgia Tech recovers with like, I don't know, 40 seconds or something like that left. And they get the football. And it's like, okay, well, they're still up three. But, you know, that was clearly a big mistake. And the whole time... Uh, Tim Hasselbeck, the brother of Matt Hasselbeck, who uh, is is like the color commentator, is just ragging on him and being like, this is a huge mistake. Like, I can't believe they did this. They could have just, like, how do you mess this up as, as a coach? And, take a knee. Yeah, exactly. So Georgia Tech, uh, I forget what they do on their first play. Their second play, they throw up this just like kind of YOLO ball, and the receiver, just as the DB undercuts it, misses it, and he like bobbles it to himself, catches it. They got like 30-yard gain. They go up. They uh, they spiked the football. So now they have second and 10 at the Miami 44-yard line. I think there were 9 or 10 seconds on the clock. And even now, it's like, okay, what's Georgia Tech thing going to do? Are they going to try to get in field goal range? Or, you know, even now, like, it's tough. Some defensive back for Miami lets the receiver get behind him, and he scores a 44-yard touchdown with one second left. Game over. And so now Georgia Tech wins the game. And... You know, Tim Hasselbeck's going on on the broadcast about, like, you know, that that DB, yes, he should not let it, the guy get behind him, but that is not his fault. That's the head coach's fault because the head coach could have knelt the ball out and none of this would have happened. Mario Cristobal, Miami Hurricanes football, gigantic case of the Mondays. Yes, brutal. Absolutely brutal. I mean, brutality. And you know what? It was almost topped. It was almost topped on, uh, on Sunday. Were you watching uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers-Baltimore Ravens game? Uh, almost yes. something very yeah. similar almost happened. The Steelers got the ball back up 17 to 10, and instead of trying to get a first down, they just knelt three times and punted it back to Baltimore. 
with like I don't know, thirty seconds left. Maybe it would have been better doing that. Maybe. I mean, I dude, how hard? I mean, you got a you got an entire analytics department. Can nobody do any math to figure out how much time? What's going on? Yeah, nobody knows the clocks. I guess, dude. This goes back to what I was saying. More more people need to play the video games, oh my the Madden, gosh, NCAA man. football, so that you just get to know the timing. All right, uh, Kings of Mondays. For anyone thinking the Big 12 won't be the best basketball conference, uh, this is from Seth Davis. Multiple sources told The Messenger that the Big 12 and Gonzaga have resumed negotiations about the possibility of Gonzaga joining the league possibly as early as next year. This uh, should not be surprising because Brett Yormark is I, – I, I don't see any reason why he would slow down at this point in terms of what he's trying to do, right? I think it's pretty clear he has an agenda. Now, I will say he did pump the brakes on a lot of the stuff because I think a lot of people were like, wait a second. What are you like? What with some of his ideas? But he still is being aggressive, I think. And this makes total. I think the one thing about Brett Yormark that I think really stands out to me among maybe some of the other commissioners and even like Bob Bullsby and whatnot is that Brett Yormark is very, very proactive, at least about having communications. Mm -hmm. And it would be at least about like. If you suggest an idea, he's going to go investigate like what the actual plausibility of doing that is. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yes. So this should not surprise anybody that he's that he's making moves like this behind the scenes to see what's going on, right? To just see that even if it's a possibility. I think that's one of the things that's been most impressive about him as a commissioner is he's not waiting around for anything. If there is an idea that he thinks might benefit the Big 12, he is very proactive about going out and seeing what's going on and just you know checking it out. And so this may not, this may not, this is something that may not still ever come to fruition. But kudos to Ray Yormark, man, get out there and, and see if it's a possibility, right? I mean, who wouldn't take Gonzaga in the Big Twelve? I'd imagine this will be obviously for like only basketball. I, I don't know if it'd be some of the Olympic sports. I guess I don't know. Maybe it doesn't hurt to bring on for the Olympic sports too. Now that you do have some more West Coast. Teams. Yeah, I mean, you have Utah, you have a uh, Colorado, BYU, BYU, Colorado. At, at like, least that's close enough. Yeah, you can make it work. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no different than when West Virginia was in the league with a bunch of teams in the Midwest. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you could make it work, and, and who knows if, if that would be the play. But yeah, either way, to have them for basketball, you already are going to be locked in. You already have been the best conference in basketball. And you're going to add now Arizona. you're adding even more with yeah Arizona and you know Houston coming in this year. Yeah. Um, then on top of that, adding Gonzaga too. Oh my goodness, it'd yeah. be unbelievable. Yeah. I do my my one my one negative with all this and the amount of teams that are being added and everything. I feel like regular season conference titles are going to stop being meaningful, being meaningful in in conference play for a couple of reasons. One, there are just going to be so many teams that it's going to be tough to keep track of. Two, yeah. balanced schedules are going to be no more. So it's like if a team goes sixteen and four, but happens to have a year where they don't play KU or Houston or Arizona or something, or maybe only plays one of them once, whereas KU goes sixteen and four or goes fifteen and five and doesn't win the conference title, but they had to play Arizona twice and Houston twice and Texas twice. It's like, yeah. well, the other team technically won the conference title, but that, like, that's not a real representation of who the teams are. I yeah. feel like it's going to be more indicative of who wins maybe the conference tournament, but even then, that's like, I don't know. That's just like weird things can happen. Yeah. I, I, that's the one negative. That's kind of a good point. Like In the previous iteration of the Big 12, where you played everyone twice, there was no doubt mm -hmm. right, about who was the best team because you played everyone twice at your house and at their place. So there was there there could be no question about if you were the better team or if you were deserving of winning the conference title, right? So it wasn't like, 
oh, Iowa State had to come play at Allen, but KU didn't have to play at Hilton. Like, so Iowa State fans could be like, oh, what's going on there? You know, or same thing with that, or whoever, fill in the blank, right? No, you played both in both locations. So there could be no gripe from anybody about the outcomes, right? About who who was on top. And obviously it was still Kansas because we're Kansas. <laughs> so that's great. But, uh, you know, that, that is actually kind of a an interesting side point of, you are going to be losing that because you're not going to be playing everybody. I mean, we're seeing it already, obviously, with just before we've even considered adding Gonzaga with the new Big 12 this year. Yeah. So it's, it's gonna. It's also gonna make uh, you know winning a bunch in a row, trying to get back, you know, break the record again, you 15 straight or whatever. Um, it's gonna make it harder. So I don't know. It, it almost like devalues the regular season and the conference season I mean, while also making more man, intriguing games. I don't know. We, I I see where you're coming from, but I don't. I don't think the average fan is going to be like, well, the 2018 Big 12 title regular season is more valuable than the 2025 one. I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think fans no, are going to do it that I don't think it's going to be more or less valuable. I'm just saying I think it, it almost for the average fan is going to be more of a, oh, yeah, I'm definitely just waiting to see what happens in the tournament now. You know? Maybe. I don't there, know. There is a lot of average people... fans who just all they care about within the college basketball is March Madness, you know? Fair. I think this plays Fine. into that even more because the regular yeah. season does become I guess a little stuff because I think from the KU perspective, the regular season does matter, but that's because KU has yeah. had all the success, right? I mean, if if we were if KU was any other program that didn't have a bajillion conference titles in a row, maybe they wouldn't care about much about right. the regular season. But I, I I guess that's where I'm going with this. Like you could have a better season going 14 and six with a hard Big 12 schedule than if you get the right Big 12 schedule going 16 and four and technically winning the conference. And it just it changes, I guess, what matters or what what is most significant, I guess. Uh, case of the Mondays for playoff Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw has uh, been known to not be as good in the playoffs as he has been in the regular season. <laughs> but I thought he kind of shook that like a couple years ago. I mean, they won a World Series, yeah. so that's part of it. And he had a couple good starts along the way. But overall... Like no, his, I know. It, still, the narrative is that he sucks. It is. Playoffs. And it's not just a narrative. I mean, you look at the stats. Like, over the course of his... his uh, his, I guess, regular season career, he's been arguably the greatest pitcher of our generation. I mean, the numbers that he's put up, the awards that he has won, the the Cy Youngs that that he has brought home. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's been unbelievable. But then when you go to the postseason, the numbers do dip off. This isn't just like oh, a couple like thing. Like in the regular season, he has he has a record of two ten and ninety two. That's a winning percentage of almost seventy percent. He's good. got a two point four eight ERA. Wait a regular minute, I, but I was told that wins don't matter for pitchers. Okay, whatever. Well, then just go with that. 2.4 ADRA <laughs> in the regular season. Right? I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. You good with that? Yeah, I'm good. No, that's good. In the postseason, he has a 13-13 and 13 record with a 4.49 ERA. Notice wow. the difference? Nearly double. Yes. So, like, it's not just a narrative. He against the Diamondbacks in the first game, he recorded one out. He gave up six runs. So, I'm curious about this. Like, I wonder if it's almost a situation where, and I don't, I mean, obviously there's so much on the mental side with pitches and stuff, but like, and I'd have to go back and look and see when he started, but maybe you don't start him in the first game of a series. You start him, I don't you, know that you it switch matters. up your rotation. Either way, you're pitching. Start him game two or game three. But, you, but no, but I'm telling you, for pitchers, that probably does matter, right? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know, Does man. it not? That was uh, the creme de la creme of his bad playoff outings, though. Uh, the Atlanta Braves having a case of the Mondays. They are playing the Phillies tonight uh, to try to avoid a, a 2-0 deficit before they head to Philadelphia. They just can't beat the Phillies, though. I mean, <laughs> the Atlanta Braves were one of the greatest lineups in MLB history. That is not hyperbole this season and what they did. Yeah. Like, you look at all the numbers across the board, it'll be like, 
oh, well, they, this so they, player. Well, they tied the Twins for most home runs in a season, mm-hmm. right? But then on top of that, they also had like a bunch of steals and everything, right? Yes, they just did everything super well. The lineup is super deep. It's unbelievable. They won over 100 games. But last year, they, despite having one of the best records in the MLB too, they lost to the Philadelphia Phillies in the, uh, the the divisional round, and that's where they're playing the Phillies again this year. And they already lost game one to the Phillies. They just can't beat the Philadelphia Phillies in the playoff. This is going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to come back and be galvanized, and they're going to win this thing, and then they're going to take all the momentum of being like, we finally got over the hump of beating the team we can't beat. Now we're going to roll from here because we're the best team in the playoffs. Or they're going to lose again to the Phillies, and there's going to be some like, they're going to have to make some sort of changes, like even what? though they're like a what great do they team. Do? What I don't do know. That's do? just what happens. It's like, remember when the uh, Chargers with Marty Schottenheimer went 14-2 and two and lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Patriots? And it was just like they fired Marty Schottenheimer, even though they went 14-2 and two and were the one seed because just something has to change. That's great. Um, and more so, I, I think case of the money is for MLB teams who had top two seeds and earned buys because – they missed like they had like five days off in between their series. And I think you're seeing the result. The Orioles are down 2 0 to the Rangers. The Dodgers and Braves are down 1 0. The Astros and Minnesota are tied 1 1 going to Minnesota. That means the teams who got buys in the first round of the playoffs through the wild card round are combined 1 of 1 and 5 in the uh, divisional round so that far. That is not good. No. They need <laughs> to figure out a different way to schedule this to uh, maybe, I don't know, give more what? momentum to the first two teams. It's just, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because you're right. I mean, baseball is such a routine It's a game of base. momentum. And to miss five days where the other team is playing day-to-day. Well, not, day. only, not, only, not only like momentum, but it's such a routine-based yeah. sport, right? Where, like, you know every, especially, like, from a pitching standpoint, you know you know, you know, know every whatever blank day, you know, yada, 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 whatever. Day to, the, day, the everyday guys, you know you're, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. That is interesting, though. All right, let's get to our Chiefs recap next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We'll get to our NFL Monday overreactions, more KU football talk, and audio from Bill Self, Hunter Dickinson, Lance Leipold, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, and uh, NFL Monday overreactions next. First, though, Kansas City Chiefs take down the Minnesota Vikings 27-20. Chiefs improve to 4-1 and on the season, and I am just so happy that we get to have more flag discussion, more ref discussion. Dude, I just, no. I don't care, no. I think it's yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's uh it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. No, I think the biggest storyline from the game was got to be Travis Kelsey getting hurt, right? Yeah, I mean you you had and, uh, what within the same was the same series they had Mahomes get rolled up on and yeah, the Mahomes thing I was not really that worried about, but the Kelsey thing, non-contact flips down. I mean those are always not those are always bad. Mm-hmm. Those are always not good. Uh, and then he comes back, they tape it up and. And the other thing to keep in mind, though, is the Chiefs are the Thursday night game this week. So I don't know how that's going to impact Travis Kelsey's availability maybe for the, the game against the Broncos. But, you know, I think one of the things – it got me thinking about it, though. One of the most impressive – or I don't even know if this is the right way to say it. Most impressive or just one of the things about Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes is those are two guys that – for all the stuff off the field that happens with them, you know, Mahomes is in every commercial. Travis Kelsey's doing a lot. Travis Kelsey, obviously, with the Taylor Swift stuff, right? I mean, these are guys that are getting inundated with all kinds of stuff off the field, right, to, with their personalities. They got big personalities off the field and all that stuff. For everything about them and all that stuff off the field, I mean, these guys are just absolute dogs on the field. And I, it got me thinking, like, how often do you get a combination of, of players that are just that pop culturally impactful off the field in terms of what they're doing, 
but still are just absolutely locked and loaded and are really, really elite and play at a high level on the field. I mean, there's not very many other guys that I think even come close to that, and the Chiefs have two of them on the same team, right? I mean, you'd have to go back to, like, Mr. Ayahuasca, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Maybe. Ayahuasca? Yeah, whatever, however you say it. Back in, uh, like, before all that crap happened where he was a, he was the State Farm guy and he was in the, doing a lot of media stuff. Now, not that's so what it is. It's jealousy over the State Farm commercial. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, there are how how many how often I mean even beyond football even beyond the NFL like in other sports do you see players that are of this magnitude of off the field impact while also being at the absolute top of their game and and being such incredible incredible players on the field and the Chiefs have two of them on the same team at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, I am almost wondering if. It's going to be better if Kelsey does miss this Thursday's game. I know it's easy I mean, to be listen, like he came back from the, the injury. During the game, I was like, Andy, don't let him back in. Yeah. That was my that was my attitude. Yeah. Like, it's week five. Well, think about it. I mean, You have I, bigger I, dreams I know than he beating was fine the Minnesota Vikings. Game. Usually the ankle gets swollen up and it gets tougher with a couple days. So, yeah, why why not just you know let him off for the Broncos? You should be able to beat the Broncos without Travis Kelsey. I would hope. Yeah, well, I mean, you would think, but. You, you look would at think. what's the one game the Chiefs lost this season? The game where Travis Kelsey didn't play. That's true. The Lions, I think, are a lot better than the Broncos, though. You would think. But yeah, that would have been absolute panic if if either one, if not I mean, both guys, was seriously. If Kelsey injured. was seriously out, season's over. They would have had to make a trade for like, like somebody really good, like Kyle Pitts. Either that, or basically admitted that yeah, this is probably going to be a year where we'll still be a playoff team because we have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. The defense is good. Um, it would but be. It's it would gonna be tough like, to win the Super Bowl, dude. Yeah. It would be. I mean, and I'm already getting to that point now, to where I I will be very disappointed slash devastated slash upset if the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, you've got you've got the best defense you've ever had under Andy Reid. Also, have Holmes. the worst weapons they've ever had. That doesn't matter because they won. Does. They won Super Bowl last year with not great weapons. Yeah, but they still honestly they should trade for Juju Smith Schuster. No, I know the knee's about to explode. No. But- why? No. Why do the Patriots need him? They stink. You wouldn't. You, it's the principle of the thing. I told you this. You don't trade for a guy you let walk. Again, sunken cost fallacy. That's like being like, what? What if the Dolphins were like, hey, we'll give you Tyreek Hill back for a seventh round pick? And you're like, no, we we gave up on you before. We can't do it. It's like, no. Well, you can change your mind. You can you can change your mind as things go on. Plus, now you know. get to pay him less than you would because if he comes over from the, the thing Patriots, is, is like. Go, in the Vikings game specifically, the one series that Travis Kelsey missed, or the one like the the time the parts of the game that he missed, that was the best. Like all everybody else for the Chiefs stepped up. The Chiefs receivers had their best series of the game. That one series that they scored a touchdown with, without Travis Kelsey. Lushy Rice had a couple catches. Sky Moore, just Justin Watson is elite. I mean, this dude is elite. Who's He's the best awesome. Justin receiver on the team? Yeah, we even got to Justin Ross. Yeah. I was happy to see Justin Ross get more time, and, and and then immediately when I was like, "Yes, play Justin Ross more, give him the ball more," then he like drops two passes. One yeah. of them, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'd call it a drop. Is that slant in like the red zone? But the other one was a drop. Um, yeah, but the point being, like, I still have faith in this receiver group as it is right now okay. because the one drive Travis Kelsey went out, they all stepped up and made pretty pretty big plays. Uh, obviously, they are not the greatest group of weapons in the world, but when you throw Travis Kelsey out there and you have Mahomes. It's, it ends up being fine. Now, the one thing I will say is stop giving the ball to Clyde. I mean, good Lord. It's like 
the offense is humming along. Great. Things are going awesome. And then, oh, here comes Clyde for a one-yard run. Like, what? Why? Why? Pacheco's great. McKinnon is, is great. Like, what are we doing? I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep Pacheco and McKinnon healthy over the course of the season. Okay, you can do the that playoffs. with somebody not named Clyde. Well, I guess my thing is that are you better off just giving those touches to, like, Daenerys Prince, to your point? Or um, uh-huh. signing some available running back who's afraid? Probably, because Clyde, to me, is like, he's the definition. He, he is just like a below-average, average player. But in the Chiefs' offense, it is so important to have speed and be able to, like, catch the ball in the backfield and, and you know, just Dude. be quick. And he's just not that. <laughs> so, I... I don't know, man. I mean, is it a is it a pride thing because they drafted him in the first round? But at what point do you just punt and say, "Dude, we're 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 moving on. We're good." Mm-hmm. What, I mean, seriously, what are we? No, like I said, I I think that's all it's about. It's about just trying to steal touches and hope that he does good enough that it's not disaster and that Fine. keep the other guys healthy. Sure, I'm not as encouraged as the uh, as, as the skill players as you are. Okay, like I just. Rasheed Rice, I, I almost want him to get a bigger role, but because of the drops, He's you worry about that. I feel like you're not consistently getting guys open. Like, yeah, Justin Watson had a couple nice catches, and he had the one kind of just basically snatch an interception away into a catch play, but I just don't know that that's there like long term. And I, I don't either. But. When I when I see the plays where like it's clear Patrick Holmes isn't able to get as much on the deep balls right now because of the ankle injury, like the one two Watson kind of fluttered in the air in between a couple guys. It'd be really nice to have a guy that you could throw the ball to and he makes a couple guy, guys miss in, in the open field. I think the idea of, of Kadarius Tony is that, but because of injuries, that's not something that's applicable. I think yeah. the idea of I mean, Rashi dude, Rice Tony is got that. hurt again. Yeah. Or but, I don't know what happened, but he came out of the game. Yeah. I, I think the idea of Rashi Rice is that. But again, he drops passes and he hasn't earned the full trust of the coaching staff yet. Yeah. I don't I don't want to be right about Big Tone, but I, I mean, hate to brag, but I'm kind of right at this point, I think. It sucks. Very talented player. Just uh, can't stay on the field. Uh, speaking of the defense, you mentioned best defense of the, the Mahomes era and everything, and they continue to show that. Um, you know, Vikings, that's not like a bad offense. You have Justin. They held Justin Jefferson in check, even, yeah, before, even the injury, before the injury. What, yeah. 28 receiving yards? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't have a lot of pass rush. That was by far the least pass yeah. rush they've had of any game. I was not encouraged by that at all. No, they really had to manufacture. I mean, Kirk Cousins blitzes. had a campfire he on did. multiple occasions. He did. I think you're really at this point waiting for Charles O'Menehu to, or not it's Charles O'Menehu. Yeah, Charles uh, Omenihu, yeah. Is it O'Menehu? Yeah. Okay. Charles uh, Omenihu, yeah. To get off the suspension, which will be after, after this, this game. next game. After the Broncos game. So that'll be a positive because you need somebody else to push. Like, Mike Dana is good for a couple spurt plays every game, but over the long haul, Mike Dana is more of a rotational player. Yeah, and George Karloftis has kind of cooled off. Yes. Obviously, you still have Chris Jones. But if he's getting double or triple teamed, Felix you know, it's tough. Uzama is shown a few flashes, but nothing. But you're learning as it goes. Yeah, obviously just a rookie, so you don't expect him to be, you know, to that level, but... No, yeah, I I think I'll be very curious to see what because in the off season, Charles O'Menehue was touted as the best free agent signing for the Chiefs, mm-hmm. right? That might still be true. It's it's been shown to me. I I've always I have said I've maintained Drew Tranquil was the best signing for the Chiefs in the off season, and obviously that has looked very very good. But O'Menehue is a type of player where he could have that impact when he comes back and maybe overtake. 
Tranquil as, as being the guy you could say, well, that was the best signing. Right. So, uh, yeah, they, they could certainly use that. If I told you right now that they were going to trade a, I don't know, let's just say a third-round pick, okay. would you prefer them I, get a receiver slash tight end, just an offensive weapon, or okay. pass rusher? Oh, receiver, easily. Okay. Easily, hands down, easily. But, again, I, I just – I mean, now the big now the big push from Chiefs fans on social media is CD Lamb's not happy in Dallas. They're Go trade trading, for CD Lamb. CD Lamb. I so think this is the problem with Chiefs fans. One wide receiver makes one comment after a game that he's not super <laughs> thrilled, and then it's Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs. If, if you're trying to figure out what teams would actually be willing to trade a receiver, you have to look to the bad teams. And what's right. the problem? A lot of bad teams don't have good receivers. It's like the Patriots, no. where it's like, like guess D- what? Like, They're bad because they don't have good weapons. DJ Moore would be great, but obviously the Bears would are not going to trade him. I wouldn't think so. They traded because, for him. Yes, part of the reason they, they got him in a trade with like the number one pick trading back, right? Yeah. Uh, the Broncos aren't going to trade with you in division. The Raiders aren't going to trade you Devontae Adams in division. They're not going to help you out, right? Patriots, again, you could do Juju, but... You know, there are reasons not to. Um, then you got to go to probably like the Dude, NFC teams. I don't even know, man. The Giants don't really the have Buc- anybody The Buccaneers receiver. are good. The Giants, no. Cardinals, maybe you trade Marquise Brown I mean, or Rondale Moore, but I don't but know if that moves I, the needle. That, no, it doesn't. I mean, I would I would be interested in Marquise Brown. That would move the needle for me. But uh, No, the Marquise Brown Justin is not Jefferson? The hmm? No. Five first-round picks for Justin Jefferson. No. Who says no? I say no. <laughs> All right. Trade for Adam Thielen with the Panthers. <laughs> I, I would actually be I would actually okay. be intrigued by that. We found it. Adam Thielen. I would actually be intrigued by Adam Thielen. <laughs> All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Let's get to our NFL Monday overreactions next. Hey, Jayhawk fans. We are going to be out at Big Mill for the next KU football home game, which will be KU versus Oklahoma on homecoming on the 28th. And uh, beyond being out at Big Mill, We're going to be giving away all sorts of cool stuff from Grandstand. You might not have heard of them before, but since 1988, Grandstand has been making some of the coolest branded items for your favorite craft beverage brands. Glasses, shirts, hats, giveaways, you name it, they can do it. They're always on the lookout for great team members. And if you're looking to work somewhere in Lawrence, not have to worry about a long commute, the process is a cool mix of blend of personal skill and top-of-the-line technology. And uh, on top of that, they have an air-conditioned production floor, an on-site jam with personal trainers, company events, and great salary and benefit packages. Plus, you get to help grow craft beer and spirits brands. How cool is that? So check them out at egrandstand.com slash careers to learn more. That's the letter E, grandstand.com slash careers. All right, we got our NFL Monday overreactions to where we overreact to things that happened yesterday in the NFL. What do we got this week, Nick? All right, dude. Boy, do we love overreacting. And we like doing it on Mondays, especially. All right. First okay. up. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm just, thank I'm just you. introducing okay. the segment. Wait, what's wrong? What? No, nothing. Do All you. right. First live your, up. Live your life. I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to live my truth. You can't stop me. We're off to a great start. Yes. Okay. First up. The Colts are an example of why you should not pay running backs ever under any circumstance. Sorry, running backs, but you ain't getting paid by anybody. I mean, I guess, like, I, I feel bad saying it because, like, you know, I, I don't want running backs to not, like, I don't know, they, they're fun players and they deserve to make money and, you know, I it just stinks, but it, it's hard to see the value when they just pay Jonathan Taylor and they give him three years, $42 million, which is a ton of money for a running back, though not over a super long term, and then Zach Moss goes out there 
in what, Jonathan Taylor's first yards? game. He had 165 rushing yards on over seven yards per carry. He had total for the game 195 total yards and two rushing touchdowns as he leads the Colts to a 23 to 16 win over the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. I guess right there, that is proof. I mean, this is now Zach Moss. He's played four games this year, and in the four games he's played, the Colts are three and one. He's got 445 rushing yards and three touchdowns. And he's just a regular journeyman running. Yes, back, right? he was. He was the the Bills were like, <laughs> we we don't need you anymore. We we have James Cook and we signed Damian Harris and uh, Latavius Murray. We're dropping you here. Go go somewhere else. And he goes somewhere else, and, and he's going off. So, yes. I mean, yes, this is kind of an example on why they're not getting paid and, and why it's probably not smart to do that. At the yeah, same I point mean, in time, Colts have a lot of salary cap, and it's like they got to pay someone, so I sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty sad, right? I mean, basically, the, the, the prevailing philosophy for running backs is basically draft one, late in your draft, and basically just utilize him for the, you know, the first four or five years of his rookie deal, and then do it again, and then do that again. Right, because every team that you look at that has, I mean, besides like the generational talent at running back, right? Like unless you draft, but even then, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, like even if you draft a generational talent at running back, it's still the, the same. The same philosophy still applies, mm-hmm. right? Because you see the results. You see the results. Guys decline. It, it's just how it is. Just how it is. So I guess not an overreaction. Okay. Okay, there we go. All right, Bryce Young, bust. He's done. Oh. He's done. Uh, Bryce this, Young this is, is an overreaction. a bust. Yeah, this is an overreaction. Now, the stats have not looked good so far. Uh, obviously, the Panthers so are one what, of the worst teams in the NFL. What makes this an overreaction? Well, I just I, I think we should probably give a guy more than how many games has he played? Four? Because he missed one oh, of them. He missed games. one of them with the injury. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, again, the numbers don't look great. Uh, five touchdowns, four interceptions, you know, only 750 yards in four games. They're, they're not great. And you watch the game, but like, okay, a couple things. One, he is a young quarterback in year four, or in game four. He has like no weapons to pass it to. His number one receiver is Adam Thielen. Wow. His number... Hey, that, that's future Chiefs number one receiver. Adam I guess Thielen. so. Who is his number two receiver? I, I don't know. Because DJ Chark got injured. I don't. I couldn't. I honestly couldn't. Is it like Terrace Marshall? Dude, I, I don't watch a lot of. Panthers. And then who outside of that? Lavisca Chenault? <laughs> I don't watch a lot of Carolina Panthers. I'm sorry. Dude, how many Carolina Panthers players could you name? Uh, they still have. They still have Brian Burns or not Brian Burns? What's the name of the? Yeah, DN? No, Brian Burns. Yeah. Okay. Good okay, defensive end. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's one. Bryce Young, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Miles Sanders. Yes. They still have Chuba Hubbard. Yes. Okay. There we go. Now we're cooking. Okay. Uh, Adam Thielen. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, uh, on their defense, I mean, they don't have. I mean, like, I think we're running they used out of to steam. have like Luke Keekley, Tom they Thomas don't Davis. Have, no, you can't just name no, past I know. players. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. I'm thinking Luke Keekley. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty. I can't name anybody else on their defense. Yeah. See. Okay, he has nobody to throw the ball to. He, he doesn't have a good team. There's a reason. I mean, the I Panthers... couldn't tell you the last time I watched the Carolina Panthers game. Whenever the last time they played the Chiefs, probably. I, guess. I don't know when that is. Well, when that there's works. there's a reason that the Carolina Panthers have been shopping and saying we want to get Bryce Young a number one receiver. One because they believe in him. Two because they don't have one. Okay, well, then why they trade the DJ irony, Moore? Yes, is that they traded DJ Moore. Um, and the other ironic part of that is that they traded a first round pick for this next year that could end up being the first round pick they get Caleb Williams and you probably would have just been better off having DJ Moore and whatever your other first round pick would have been and Caleb Williams 
but that's for another day. I don't think Bryce Young is a bust. I think he's still going to be good. Okay. Just give it time. Trevor okay. Lawrence was really bad in year one, too, right? And then now he's been, I don't know, yeah. he's top and obviously quarterback, the age right? old is like, oh, well, Peyton Manning threw 20 interceptions right. in his first season, and, you know, so I, I get it. I think it, it's easy but... to see, like, oh, C.J. Stroud is playing really well and be like, well, why isn't Bryce Young doing that if he's going to be good? But there are I different think paths Part of the reasons why it feels more like Bryce Young is a bust is all the reasons you outlined. Like, mm-hmm. the, uh, everything else about them sucks. Yes, right? <laughs> they're just a bad team. <laughs> but, like, the Texans are also not a great team, and they're fine. Yes, but they do have a lot more insulation. Like, they, they've been using draft picks on receivers. They used, you know, middle-round draft picks on uh, Tank Dell and Nico Collins, who have played well. Yeah. Damian Pierce uh, was, like, a good rookie running back last year. You've been adding to the offensive line. Like, you bring in a defensive coach with some young, interesting pieces on the defense that's been pretty good so far. It, it's just okay. different. It's just different. Okay. All right, the Patriots, they should fire... Bill Belichick. Oh, now we got a Fire. good one. Now I mean, we got a good one. I mean, lost his last two games by a combined, wow. like, what, set, 69 points? Yeah, lost 38-3 Cowboys and 34-0. So, yeah, 69 points yeah. combined between yeah. the two games. And the 38-3 to loss uh, was the most that they had ever lost by in Bill Belichick's yes. time at Patriots. Points. So, they go from 35 to 34. So, I guess so they're getting logic, better. So, by that logic, 33-32, So, by 2025, eight, yeah, look out. Yeah, by like by like week 18, they're only, only going to lose by like 16 points. <laughs> yeah, no, come 2025, they're going to win every game. <laughs> so, they're good. They're good. Just hold on to them for at least three more years. Um, okay, this is, this is super awkward because it's pretty clear that the Patriots need a change at this point. You think so? And they're going into an offseason where they have a ton of salary cap. But you know what happened last time they had a ton of salary cap with Bill Belichick? I don't. They wasted it all on Hunter Henry. Um, what was the other tight end? Johnu Smith. Um, uh, who else did they give a bunch of money to? Kendrick Bourne, maybe? No, Nelson Aguilar. I do remember They, they that. gave out like all this money to guys who were just like, yeah, that's kind of a weird contract. That's a lot of money for a player who's just kind of like a fine player. Um, it's almost like you need to start fresh. The problem is, how you do you, you, don't fire, how do you fire the greatest head coach of all time? You don't. You can't. You almost have to tell Bill Belichick, would you please resign or retire? Yeah, yeah, he has to retire. But if he says, I'm not resigning, I'm not retiring, and yeah, what I mean, if Bill the Belichick, Patriots finish 3-14, and 14, he, he what do you cards. do? What do you do? I don't think the Patriots are going to finish 3-14. and 14. They're really bad. I feel like they're still going to find Dude, a way Mac to win. Mac Jones, bad. Bad weaponry. <laughs> Pretty Bailey's happy. Defense is good, but I thought the defense was going to be great. It's only well, they've like, had, they've it's had, solid. They've it's, had some injuries. Yeah, because uh, I think their their star rookie corner Christian Gonzalez I think is going to be out for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, they had another corner I think got, get hurt as well. But dude, yeah, you can't. The, the problem here is Bill Belichick holds all the cards. You can't I, do anything. I guess my here's where I'm at. I think it makes sense for both parties to move on, and if one of the parties is like I'm not willing to move on, you kind of do have to force your hand. So I don't. Can't, I don't know. Can't that this fire. Is, I don't know that this is an overreaction. Robert Kraft is not going to fire Bill Belichick. I don't know if this is an overreaction. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. You don't think it's an overreaction though? No, I don't think it is. He he, he ain't getting fired. Okay. Lamar Jackson. We need to have a conversation. Mm. He is not a top ten quarterback. Ooh. Not even okay. close. The he days is, of him being MVP have come and gone. Well, I, I feel justified in our uh, week one overreaction in that I said it was not an overreaction, that the offense is not built to his liking. And they talked the about Ravens that offense? it was going to make him, yeah, more well, The Ravens offense. offense is not built to anybody's liking because no, they, they can't catch the ball. Well, that doesn't help, and it's not good. But also, like, you know what? Uh, that didn't stop Lamar Jackson from throwing a bad interception in the red zone when um, they were down to the steal. What was well, the listen, score at that point? 
I don't know, 10 to 10 maybe? Yeah, something. I don't know. Dude, at this point, like, I have a hard time overreacting to any game, any like any Monday after the Steelers and the Ravens play because it's the same thing every time they play. It's just an ugly, gross, disgusting game it that's is, like 16 to 10. It is, but this isn't 10, just the Steelers 16, game. 13. This isn't just the Steelers game. Here's his stats for the year. He has 1,030 passing yards in five games. That puts him on pace for just over 3,000 yards. Like, that's not much in today's NFL. He's on pace for about 22 passing touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Do you think the Ravens? It's not great. Do you think the Ravens regret signing OBJ? To that much money, yes. Yeah. Do you think he'd be doing better with the Chiefs? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. But okay. Right now, Lamar Jackson's 13th in QBR. Now but that is he- not an endorsement of me saying the Chiefs should have signed OBJ. No, not for that much money. Not for that much. It, it was just always out of the price range. Um. Okay, but is he not a top 10 quarterback? Ugh. You got to start listing names. So you get to like, you know, okay, okay. Mahomes, Mahomes, Herbert. Herbert, Allen. Allen, uh, Burrow, Burrow. Jalen Hurts. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Brock Purdy? Tua. Brock Purdy? Brock Purdy? Maybe Brock, Brock Purdy. Purdy. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Then you get to. I'm not putting like, Dak ahead of it. No, Dak. We're, we're, not we're putting we're, a healthy hey, Kyler We're going to get to Dak here in a second. So okay. Keep, keep, okay. Keep, keep Dak that pressing. energy. Keep that energy with <laughs> Dak. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's put it this way. But, but I, a better way of looking at this is: think of all the, like the middle tier quarterbacks. Like, are you putting are you putting Kirk Cousins ahead of Lamar Jackson? No. Are you putting Tua ahead of Lamar Jackson? Maybe. Are you putting, I don't know, uh, Derek Carr ahead of Lamar Jackson? No. Here, let, okay, let's just run through. So, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Um, Joe Burrow, dude. dude those honestly, are the five you're for sure taking, when, right? When, when you start listing quarterbacks, you start to realize like there's really know, not that many great. But quarterbacks those are the five after, you're like, for sure taking, the elite right? guys. All right, those are the five you're for sure taking. Absolutely. So we have at the very least he's sixth. Brock Purdy is a conversation. <laughs> I'm still taking Lamar right now, but it's a conversation. Tua again, a conversation. I might be leaning Tua right now. Okay. Um, let's see who else do we have in that discussion. Dak, conversation, but I'm taking Lamar. Stafford, conversation, but I'm taking yeah, Lamar. Her Cousins, conversation, but I'm taking Lamar. Okay. Trevor Lawrence? Uh, probably take Lamar still. Okay. I would think. Well, Trevor Lawrence, I don't know. He, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, if you were saying I'm building a team today, and I'm t- I would probably take Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. But I don't, but right, but like, okay. If, I don't so know. That, that's like that's five hard. guys we'd have a conversation with. Five, he's definitely. So he is somewhere in the six to 11 range. I would say it is an overreaction. He's still top 10, but I don't think the offense is suited well, and they have not looked very good on that end of the field so far. Okay. Well, speaking of Dak Prescott, speaking of Kirk Cousins, we had this discussion about the Jets trading for Kirk Cousins because the Vikings suck, and they clearly should start tanking and you know move on, right? Kirk Cousins heading into last year. He's in the last year of his contract, I think, so you know, the idea of a rental is, is in there, right? So the Jets would have been a team that done it. I have a better idea. The Dallas Cowboys should trade for Kirk Cousins. Ooh. They should punt on Dak Prescott, <laughs> trade for Kirk Cousins. That's their best chance to win a Super Bowl this year. What about Trey Lance? That's their best chance to win a Super Bowl this year. Trey Lance is their third string. I no. don't think Dak Prescott Dump and Dak Kirk Cousins Prescott, are different enough. Trade for Kirk Cousins, and the Dallas Cowboys have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I don't think Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins are different enough. They're both guys who put up really good stats, and they've both struggled in big moments. 
both guys are viewed as being like somewhere between that like probably 9 to 14 range of quarterbacks. I don't think it's a sizable enough difference Kirk to Kirk Cousins has at least won some playoff games. I mean, I, I, mean, I, think, would, I know Dak has too, but I don't know. I'll be honest. Right now, I'd probably lean Kirk Cousins slightly better than Dak Prescott, but it's the like Cowboys close. should trade for him. But they, it's I mean, not worth the resources. Th- there is not a team to go, in the NFL that is more win now, win today, win this year than the Dallas Cowboys. But if the, if the Cowboys do not like make the Super Bowl or make the NFC Championship game this season, they're going to blow it up because that's what they do. It's it's everything right now this year. To go from like quarterback number thirteen to quarterback number twelve or something like that, but I don't think being, it's worth it. When you have a team like they do, that's as good as they are. Again. That literally could be the difference for them. But you're not to have to pay to have to pay because they're, they're probably gonna have to give up like no, a first I know. round pick. It, it would be a, it would be a terrible terrible trade for them long term. But if they do not again make the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, make the NFC Championship game, they are going to blow up everything they have. I don't think it's they worth have it. to do it this year. I don't think it's worth I, it. I, I think I think I, mean, I think it's too negligible. To hell with, to hell with the future. You got to win the Super Bowl this year. I would be on board with you if if you told me it was like I, I don't even know. Like, is there an elite quarterback? Like that's Matt even on the trade market? What if it was Matt? What if the Rams were being bad again this year? They that I could probably get on board with, with more. I don't. I'm, I, I don't, don't think I'm it's that saying, big of a difference. They, they just, the they, the, there's, the Cowboys have to win this season. Right. Otherwise, Mike McCarthy's going to get fired. Any more quick ones? Uh, Bengals back. Mm, I'm going to say no. Jamar Chase is back, though. The Bengals are back. And uh, listen, I told you last week, because the Rams didn't Dude, they beat, beat them. they beat the Cardinals. Because the Rams didn't beat them, they're going to make the playoffs. They beat the Cardinals. I will see you in January like when the Seattle, Bengals Buffalo, are and San playing Francisco in, in the, the next playoffs. Race. If they go one and two I will there. see you in January All right. when the Bengals are in the playoffs. He's Nick Springer. That's our NFL Monday Overreactions. More KU football talk next on RCST. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to get to some Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson uh, audio from after late night in the fog later this hour. We're also going to get to some Lance Leipold postgame audio from the UCF game later this hour as well. KU takes down UCF 51-22 to on Saturday. What is the biggest positive for KU outside of just the whomping that they put on the Knights? Mm, biggest positive. Uh, I, there's two that jump out to me. Well, I guess technically three. Uh, I'm going to go off the beaten path here a little bit because this is something that I think is is a really good sign for KU going forward, and that is their their return game. Kickoff, a kickoff and punt return. First punt return touchdown in almost 10 years. You had a great kickoff return from Kenny Logan. I mean, that that was significant, right? Obviously, the, the punt return from Trevor Wilson, that was, by the way, I don't know if you were still at the game at that point. I know, I know you had left at one point, mm-hmm. but uh, that was maybe the loudest I remember being in the stadium all season, I think. When Trevor Wilson, yeah, I, I was there for that. I I was at the game, and uh, my my pregnant wife started feeling bad, so uh, we were unfortunately were part of the the problem, so to speak, of of the fans leaving early oh. at one point in the third <laughs> quarter. But I swear, ours was because I, I have a pregnant wife. She wasn't oh, yeah, feeling no, good. Yeah. I had to puke. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have shared that. Anyway, no, whatever. Yeah, that's, um, I, I did, that's why. I, that's why I just said I yeah, didn't know. If you, I didn't yeah. know how far you wanted to go. Into yes, that. Yeah. but no, no, that was awesome, man. That was awesome hearing the roar of the crowd and uh, Trevor Wilson bringing back a punt return. It was a play where some of the coaches were like, "Wait, fair catch the ball," and then he's like, "Nope, <laughs> I'm taking it." Yeah. So I, I mean, because like the thing is, is I would say biggest positive was special teams, but you had a missed short field goal and a missed extra point. So special teams was not, and maybe I should have saved that for later on in the segment for biggest neutral. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I just went ahead and started with the, the punt and kick returns. Yeah. I think that's a good positive, especially because, I mean, when's the last time we saw Kansas have a, a return touchdown? 
I, again, I, I think 2014. Oh, was sure. 2014? Who was that? Like I think Steven it was Sims, uh, maybe? Tony it might have been, been Lequeviante Gonzalez. Nah, there at that point? Been, been, there at that point? Uh, around there. I'm like pretty sure it was 2014. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, that, that was certainly a big positive and something you can take away moving forward because it's felt like to this point the KU special teams has been better. But the reason it's been better to this point, or, or I guess before the UCF game going into that one, it, that we deemed it to be better, was because they just hadn't made any mistakes. Right? It was just better because last year you struggled and at times made mistakes. You go back to year one of the Leipold era, you had right. punt blocked against Coastal Carolina. You go back to uh, last year, whether it's the Kansas State game, muffing punts or you know giving up big returns. It was not Lequeviante Gonzalez. It was not Tony Pearson. Was it 2014? It was 2014. Wait, can I guess? Sure. Knock yourself out. I don't well, there's think, no way I'm going to guess there, this based no on way the, the way you There's you no way you're going to guess it. <laughs> For a punt return touchdown. I'll, I'll even give you the game. Okay. West Virginia. I was going to say West Virginia, but I'm trying to remember the name of the you player. You were not going to say West Virginia. I swear I was. <laughs> uh, man. Not Justin McKay. Nope. Not Justin McKay. Mm. It's on the tip of my tongue. I don't think it is. I don't know. Give me a first name. Nick. Nick Harwell? Nick Harwell. Really? No, I wouldn't have got that. I didn't think Nick Harwell was even returning punts, to be honest. Good receiver, though. 76-yard punt return for touchdown in the fourth quarter against West Virginia in 2014. Okay. Which, by the way, that was also Clint Bowen's first game after Mm. they fired Charlie Weiss. Is the interim. Yes. Uh, Coach Lawrence High, he has the city showdown to get prepared for this week, which we'll have on KLWN on Friday. But yeah, man, to to the UCF game, it had been just about improvement because you weren't making mistakes. This was the first game where you showed improvement in not just that, although you did make a couple mistakes for the first time, but you showed that you can actually, like... (laughs) Do something super positive, which I, I mean, a, a punt return or a kick return. I would love to see the numbers on games of how often teams win if they have a punt or a kick return. I mean, it's basically like a free touchdown, right? Yeah. Like it's almost yeah. like a, a positive turnover. Like instead of you, <laughs> instead of you having a turnover, you're getting Why don't you just one. Come up basically. with a better name than no. But you got to we got to workshop that. Yeah, better name than positive turnover. Just first of all, it's too long. Second of all. It's, it doesn't make any sense. No. Turnovers are bad. People associate turnovers with bad things. So you yeah. say positive in front of it, doesn't, it doesn't, does mm-hmm. that, that doesn't wash it out. You gotta come up with a better No, I'm, I'm just saying that's what it's like. So anyway, uh, my biggest positive from the game is, I mean, it's, I kind of want to go back to what we were talking about earlier with the running game. Like, know, the running like game the, you already no, knew was yeah. a positive. I mean, the, the big obvious ones, I think, were the run game and the defense. I, you know, I'm going to do the defense. I'm going to do the defense. Okay. Um, you did give up over 200 yards rushing low-key to UCF, so you'd like to see that tightened up a little bit more. But, you know, the game gets out of hand, and you're kind of playing more uh, soft coverage where you're basically saying, hey, if you want to run for – like like the one drive where – conservative uh, defense, yeah. Where it was – it was, what, 37-8, to eight, and UCF is going down to try to score a touchdown, and they eventually did to make it 37-15 – they got a lot of rushing yards that drive and ended up scoring a yeah, touchdown. It was a 17 play. It was a seven minute drive. Eight, eight minute drive. Eight minute drive. Where you were up by 29 points or whatever, and you're like, okay, if you want to bleed the clock out, that's fine. We'll play soft coverage. If you want to gain six yards of pop and take 17 plays or whatever, 15 plays, like we're fine with that. So I do think it was better than maybe the numbers showed. Uh, but the pass coverage was really good. You held Kobe Hudson, who had one catch for five yards in check, who was their stud receiver. And. 
you know, you, you didn't really give up a ton so, of big plays in the air. I just did the math on this. Mm-hmm. That 17 play drive, they ran it 13 times. Yeah, so that was yep. a majority of that, right? When, eight, when you eight, were basically eight, saying, took eight minutes. we're actually fine with you running the ball here, right? Yeah. So that, that does skew a little bit of the numbers there. Defense was really good. Again, if, if you said coming in against a UCF offense that was averaging over 500 yards per game, that was averaging over 37 points per game, it was one of the top 20 in the country, it was one of the top offenses in the Big 12, you were going to hold them to 22 points, and you were only going to do that by forcing one turnover? Like, it wasn't a game where you just held them down because they had a bunch of dumb interceptions. Yeah. You held them down because you shut them down. Yeah. That's the biggest positive for me. And, and to this point in the season, how could you not be very happy with where the defense is? Yeah, and, I, you know, I don't know how much of that people might say, well, you know, UCF started with John Rice Plumley and then went to Timmy McLean. But the right situation is Timmy McLean had been playing and yeah. starting quite a bit. So it wasn't like they just you know, they had to go to a guy they never even played before, right? And Timmy McLean had led them to led them to a lot of points and, and had done really well. Yes, Timmy McLean was the starter for their uh, previous two games, and they put up 33 points and, per game, 31 and 35, yeah. against K-State and Baylor. So it's not like they had been a pushover with Timmy McLean. Yeah. Uh, so that's my biggest positive. What is your biggest negative? Uh, well, hard to pick one. Hard to, hard to I mean, what are even the options? Well, uh, negative things happened. I mean, a couple the of the special teams. Goal. Yeah. yeah. Blocked I know. I, PAT. Dude, I'm an idiot. I should have saved that for biggest neutral. So I really fumbled there. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. I guess. I guess Jalen Daniels still being injured. Yeah, that's a negative. And it being a bad enough injury that he couldn't be on the sidelines, which yeah. shows you the severity like, of the injury. The weather was great, so you can't pick the weather. <laughs> the crowd was good. I guess crowd uh, leaving at halftime, including did they leave? What I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't really see. I don't think it was as much this game as like the Illinois game. Okay, yeah, I, I couldn't really see from being in the crowd, but yeah. Uh, what else would be up there? Um, yeah, you had good weather. More injury, no injuries in general, like um, you know, Jeremy Robinson, Hayden Hatcher now yeah. fighting through injuries. Obviously, yeah. the Jalen Daniels injury. Yeah, injuries is probably a pretty good option. Uh, Mike Nowitzki's dealing with stuff. That's what Lance Leipold said at, at Media Vale this week. Yeah. I guess injuries. Yeah, I'd almost go with injuries. Yeah. I think. Because, like, I mean, listen, what, when, you, in a, when you win by 40, what's the one thing that could make you come away from that game feeling still kind of bad? Injuries. Yeah. Right? I mean, again, you could go to the run defense. You have over 200 still. But sure. uh, as we documented, if you actually it look was kinda, what happened. It, it was basically garbage time. To be yes. Honest. Yes. It was basically like, no, we want you to run the football because <laughs> it's going to be better. So, yeah, I think it has to be the injuries. Okay. I think that would be yeah. the biggest negative coming out of yeah. the game. Uh, biggest neutral. Well, spoiler alert! I was—I should have picked. I—I I just. I'm just. Do you want to redo smart. your picks? I'm just not very. Do you want to redo your picks? Okay, I'll redo it. Yeah. All right. What's your biggest positive? Biggest, biggest positive run game. <laughs> okay. Dominated on the ground. You, you absolutely annihilated, annihilated them on both again, sides. They had already been a good running offense coming in, but yep. that was just. They annihilated them on both yeah. lines of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I—I I guess you could say run game, and by extension of that line of scrimmage on yeah. both sides, right? You dominated on, on offense and on defense, you were pretty good. Uh, so that's my biggest positive. Mm-hmm. How about that? Okay. Now the your- negative is still probably the injuries. Okay. Biggest neutral special teams. <laughs> wow. You know why? Because you had two great plays and you had some bad plays. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what happens? Neutral. Yeah. Listen, and- I passed chemistry in high school. I understand that when you have protons and whatever, whatever the hell the other, the other stuff. No, wait. Neutrons are the protons neutral and one. electrons. Yeah, there you go. They they cancel out and there's neutrons and then yeah, there you go. <laughs> neutral. Things happen. Um, I, I think you could probably argue that still, like, if you were, I, I know this isn't, like, it's a semantics thing. 
you could probably still argue special teams was was more than neutral because in yeah. theory a punt return touchdown is seven. Could you the kick return is worth something, and sure. then the block PAT and the missed field goal but that's minus got, five, but that's still a positive <laughs> overall. But it's close enough to neutral that could I think you that's fine. Say biggest neutral was Jason Bean. No, because I think Jason Bean was good. Okay, I I, I think I Jason Bean was good saying. too. I think Jason Bean was good too, but like. In the game, he didn't. I mean, I see what you're saying. It, it was almost a game manager. It was like, like, do you think if Cole Ballard starts that game, they still win? Because I kind of do. I, I guess we don't know. Yeah. Cole Ballard is a complete unknown. I mean, we listen, have no idea how. No, know. I know. He's a he, he fresh, played what, freshman walk he played, on. What like five plays against uh, which Missouri State? I think we're all running plays. Yes. Yeah. Which so listen, like, I mean, that's all Jason Bean did in the second half. Sure. For KU, so sure. maybe, maybe yes. I mean, maybe you or I could have quarterbacked the win. It's, it's easy I mean, to listen, see. I can take a snap. <laughs> And hand it off on HB Dive to Daniel right. Hyshaw. Right, that's hey. not to take away from Jason Bean, because I, I did think no, Jason I, Bean played well. I agree, yes. He so was efficient. that's why I said, can you make the argument? I don't think that, I I wouldn't say His he biggest was. neutral, because because of how well you ran the ball, yes. dominated the line of scrimmage, yep. and played defense, that it just didn't matter. Yes. I understand that point of view, and I think that's fine. I just don't want to do it, because I, I do classify no, I Jason Bean as having a good game. Jason and Bean when, when he had to make throws, he did, and he was efficient when you needed him to. Yep. Um, yep. Because neutral, Best I, things, I'm telling you, that's the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny the so one what, play I mean, where the guy who trips up Kenny Logan, I can't remember who tripped him up. It was it was somebody. It was it was his own player, right? Yeah, it was his own yeah. player on his own team. <laughs> that in itself was the most neutral play. It's a great return, but it could have been a touchdown. You know? <laughs> yes, correct, sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else would even like go up there as being neutral. Like, okay, okay, I got one. You go back to like neutral. the weather. It was the weather was good. Yeah, the, weather was, the weather was neutral. No, the biggest neutral for me was the uh, the receiver usage. I guess. Yeah, and it's fair. not that it, it's not a negative because it's not like the receivers did bad or they dropped a bunch of passes or they no. weren't getting open. But it's not a positive either because you look at the only eight completions. Right, I can't like point out any of the receivers and be like, "Oh, they had a good game." Right, you're an MVP. Like Mason Fairchild was the team leader in catches. He had three for 19 yards. Luke Grimm was the team leader in yards. He had two catches for 40 yards or 41 yards. 41, yeah. Lawrence Arnold got in the end zone, but that was his one catch. Right, so it's it's not that any of them had bad games, but because of the lack of usage and because you didn't have to because you were running the ball down their throat. Um, that's almost the biggest neutral that you didn't get to see if the receivers could take over a game. You know, I mean, listen, Jason Bean did a great job of spreading the ball around. Eight yeah. completions to five different receivers. Yeah, is that right? No, yes, five different receivers. Okay, Luke Graham, Mason Fairchild, Devin Neal, Trevor Cardell, Lawrence Arnold. All right, so uh, that's my biggest neutral. <laughs> okay, um, but I glad guess we, glad we cleared that up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, biggest positive is just. Beating UCF in general because we Just talked about this on Friday, annihilating them. Yeah, we talked about on Friday how it was not just important to get back on your winning ways, and every win does matter as you're trying to stack them up. It was important symbolically to be like, sure. you can win more games with Jason Bean. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we we had already said on Friday afternoon before the Oklahoma State K State game that you needed to go one and one in this stretch, and that UCF was the best the best opportunity to do that. That became even more apparent after Oklahoma State beat Kansas State on Friday night. Mm-hmm. There, I think after that game, when I woke up Saturday morning, in my mind I was like, "This is a must-win game for Kansas. Yep. Must win." And not only did they win, they absolutely blew their doors off, annihilated them, ran them out of the stadium. It was never even a contest. Domination. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to get to some uh, Lance Leipold postgame audio coming up later this hour. Coming up next, though, we've got some audio from Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson after late night in the fog on KLWN with RCST, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Depend on it. 
Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think there'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast